0: Good day. It is a pleasure to meet you. I look forward to working with you. During our time together, I humbly request you be weary of the language and content of your letter. It is of grave importance if you do not wish for younger readers to read its contents. Please also be forewarned of spoilers you may intend on sending to your recipient, particularly those of the drama Violet Evergarden. If you are hesitant to continue, Please prepare ahead of time prior to requesting me. Lastly, I must inform you of anything I say, as it is my own personal opinion and does not pertain to my fellow Auto Memory dolls at the Dub Talk Postal Company. If it is your wish, I will travel anywhere to meet your request. I am Auto Memory's doll, Stephanie Evergarden. May we begin?
1: Hello fellow citizens, thank you so much for requesting the Dub Talk podcast to be your podcast of choice for tonight's discussion about Violet Evergarden, a new series from Kyoto Animation in association with Netflix. Things are gonna look very, very pretty tonight, and they're gonna get a little bit emotional as we discuss in detail both the show's English dub as well as the contents of the show itself. Joining me tonight, I am leading the company, as we are joined by my fellow dolls who will be transcribing their feelings from paper to word of mouth. If it is your wish, we will go anywhere to meet your request. Auto Memories Dolls, Amandul.
2: Hello, I have a new typewriter, it's very nice.
1: Auto Memory Doll, Lilac.
0: Pleasure to meet you, sir.
1: And auto-memory doll, Noah
3: Clue. I'm just here to offer a hand tonight.
0: You broke broke the tone so quickly. (laughs) You ruined it. Already. Am I already fired? Yes. Why did you get hired again? (laughs) Because Because he's
3: really good.
1: Look, he got hired for the same reason he got married. He's good with his fingers.
0: Oh.
3: Okay, all right now. Whoa. Oh, dear. That is getting oh. cut. You editor person, cut that.
0: Please cut that. That was a terrible <sighs> joke.
3: I need a drink, <laughs> god damn it.
1: While you're getting that drink, okay. I think... While you're getting that drink, I think now's a good time to at least go into... What Violet Evergarden is, and explaining a be a brief synopsis of the show itself.
3: It's a gardening show,
0: right? God damn it!
1: No. It's Go like get your drink.
0: Homes and Go get your drink. Get,
1: get your drink. Get your, put your put your little binky in while the adults
0: cover <laughs> this, please. <clears throat> Shh, the adults are talking, Noah. Wow. <laughs> the great
1: the great war finally came to an end after four long years of conflict. Fractured in two, the continent of Taliesis slowly began to flourish once again. Caught up in the bloodshed was Violet Evergarden, a young girl raised for the sole purpose of decimating enemy lines. Hospitalized and maimed in a bloody skirmish during the war's final leg, she was left with only words from the person she held dearest, but with no understanding of their meaning. Recovering from her wounds, Violet starts a new life working at CH Postal Services after a falling out with her new intended guardian family. There, she witnessed by pure chance the work of an auto-memory doll, girls that transcribe people's thoughts and feelings into words on paper. Moved by the notion, Violet begins work as an auto-memory doll, a trade that will take her on an adventure, one that will reshape the lives of her clients and hopefully lead to her own self-discovery. So this show is Interesting. It's got both an interesting history to it, as well as an interesting release schedule, so to speak. Yeah. Um, the the thing I feel notable is that uh, Anne does a lot of uh like book contests, where a couple of, t- of times they will give out awards to sh- to books and promising titles that seem interesting to them i know stuff like uh amagi brilliant park kyokai no kanada etc were you, kyokai Kanada beyond the boundary what as the well
3: you are such a weeb uh,
1: <laughs> like you're to talk point is <laughs> the, the important the important thing is uh, a couple of light novels that were honorary wi- honor honorable mentions for this Annie run light novel contest actually do go on to get their own anime adaptations at times. Violet Evergarden's interesting because it's the only title so far, only book so far, to actually ever win their coveted grand prize. So I was already interested alone just from the notion that this one series or this one light novel series actually was a grand prize winner in uh, their contest. And what's interesting about this one is, is This show had a weekly release on Netflix with dubs in several languages for almost everywhere else
0: around the world. Except for here in the United United States. States.
1: (laughs) Also Australia, I think. But yeah, the United States didn't get that.
0: Because uh, uh, Violet Evergarden, uh, the show itself aired back during the winter season, but um, the dub actually came to Netflix what, back in June, I think.
1: No, no, the dub oh. came out at the same time as episodes came out weekly. It was,
0: it I, was I, meant, I meant, I English. Yeah.
1: In English, the it came out in April. The full. Okay, that that's
0: what I was referring to. Like, it came out in in, in still in a short span of time for by Netflix standards. Oh, what I'm absolutely.
1: Yeah. Okay, yeah. yes, I can agree to that.
3: Now, we could attest some of that, though, to the fact that Kyo Animation works incredibly well with schedules. So they could actually have the materials ready to the dubbing studio to be done much faster than some other studios would. Oh, yeah. Like, we would oh, yeah. have seen the same turnaround with Trigger with Li- uh, Little Witch Academia.
1: I'm pretty sure, like, Kyo Annie does stuff like... There's stuff that's probably been done for a couple of months that's coming out in, like, a season or two. That's probably how they work.
0: I mean, probably because you don't really see too, too often a lot of Kyo Andy shows. I think, like, what is it? It's Violet Evergarden and Freeze currently airing this summer, so... Like... Their output
1: has actually been a lot bigger in the yeah. past year or two, and yeah. they've got a pretty decent schedule lined up. They're really making it big, and Ooh. I'm pr- proud of them for it. And their stuff still continues to look drop-dead gorgeous. Oh and... my
3: god. But we're not here to discuss the drop-dead gorgeous look. We're here to discuss the audio. You are We cursed. are
1: here to discuss the English dub of this show. And starting off, we are here to talk about the show's dialogue directors for this project. And the dialogue directors for Violet Evergarden are Bob and Megan bucols
3: Bob Buchholz. Bushels. It's pronounced Bu- it's Bob and Megan Bushels.
1: Bushels. I mean, Thank I'll you give much. you
3: credit. If you see the spelling on the screen, people, you could easily not know which vowels are supposed to be pronounced which ways. It's Thank sharp. you very much.
1: Uh, Bushels. Uh, Bob has worked on such shows such as Knights of Sidonia, ID Zero, Blame, Devilman Crybaby, and Children of the Whales. And Megan has also helped out with. Devilman Crybaby and Children of the Whales. Now, which I uh, still to- have to see. There's a lot of stuff that gets released on Netflix that everybody needs to make time for, or probably oh, yeah. never will. Who knows?
0: Yeah, i on. So much anime, so little time.
1: I'm on. Would you like to start us off, sir?
0: Sure. <clears throat>
1: um
2: yeah I enjoyed the direction on this show I, I know I know Bob and Megan don't technically do the dub for every anime on Netflix but it feels that way sometimes they seem to be one of their preferred go to studios for getting stuff done
1: specifically uh, called Slice Bread Studios yes
2: uh, <laughs> and if nothing else they're better than that place that dubbed
1: Aiko was it that's terrible <laughs>
2: this yeah dub- have, <laughs> we yeah. don't talk okay. about Aiko exactly later um, maybe so I know I obviously like believe Netflix is a good relationship with them because they keep going back to them, and I like a lot of what they did on this show. Um, this this is, this is an interesting dub. It's uh, it's very dramatic. Obviously, uh, this is a lot more dramatic than I'm used to watching KyoAno shows. My my introduction to them was like Haruki, and then much later like Nichi Joe. Uh, so this is <laughs> wow. I, I never I never watched. Well, I mean, like I watched stuff in between, but like I never watched any of their like key visual novel stuff from early in their career. So like they're 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 like I know I know they're a company who do weepy melodramas, but that is exclusively a genre I have never really watched from them. So this okay. is a little bit of a first for me. I um, I think they did a very good job with this. This is a show that has a lot of emotional beats to it, pretty much all the time, uh, and you got to hit those if you're going to make this story work. Because if it falls flat on its face, then it's just going to feel like a big old waste of time. Like, why do I care about these people? And I think they did that. Um, I thought this was very well directed. I thought it was very well cast. Uh, I thought they did a very good job, especially given that so much of the show is episodic and you're dealing with a lot of people who will show up for one 30-minute segment and then you won't see them again for the most part. I thought they did a a very good job of balancing that between them and the more recurring characters and having everything fit together. Uh, Especially given... uh, how the lead character is written, which I'll get to in her segment later. Um, yeah, no, I was very impressed by this. I liked it a lot.
0: I have to agree with a lot of things that Amon just said, because this story... Oh, boy. Um, if you don't feel any feels from this show, y'all are a monster. <laughs> Though everybody's of course, is going to react differently to um, some of the dramatic, more emotional... Um, moments... Oh god... I, I, I... I'll admit, I fall like a baby a couple times. It hit... There were parts of the show that, um, really hit close to home for me. Um, which probably will come up with a couple set of characters. A little bit! But, um... Yeah, it's a very... It's, I, I love the direction and writing. The writing seemed pretty straightforward. It wasn't... 100% confined to historical period-speak. Because this is also a, like a bit of an alternate reality or an alternate world in a sense, it's not like pure history, so there's some leeway with some of the dialogue and the um, the speech patterns for the characters, which I liked. Um, Direction wise is also very very good. I enjoyed it immensely. I do have to nitpick though. Uh, so <laughs> something I caught on to um, is if you see characters that are like more in a distance that are in the background and um they're talking there are times where the lip flaps don't match really mhm hmm. the biggest example i found from that was episode oh uh, i want to say it was 6 when violet goes to the um,
1: ast- uh, observatory the, uh,
0: ast- yes where um violet is speaking to leon and um there was a mo- there was a moment it was it was dark in background, but, like, from, you he's a bit of a distance off, but I could tell when he's speaking that sometimes with any pauses, for like, an extended period of time, the lip flaps are still going. And it's not the first time I noticed it, too, because I noticed it, I believe, at least an episode or two before that with the same problem. But that's the one nitpick I have, and it's more of a technical issue. Um, but otherwise, considering the, the themes of this show, uh, regarding... Loss and love and grief thrown in there too. This dub was hit all of those points and very, very well. Uh, It's definitely one of my favorite English dubs I've seen so far this year, to be honest with you.
3: Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: Wow. But it's probably more because I connected on it more personally.
3: Right. But, okay. Okay. I mean, it's really hard to separate. From, like, if you have a strong connection to the to right. the script and to the action right. on the screen, it, it's going to be hard to say to also say that you didn't like the the uh, the dub to it as well.
0: Exactly. Like, even despite the little nitpick I had with the lip flaps, I'm just like, this is great. This is great. I love this. I love this. And this is coming from, because um, I didn't know an extreme amount about the show. I knew it was a thing that was ex- that existed. I knew <laughs> there was a lot of hype around wow. it, but I didn't. I kind of went into the show knowing the bare minimum. And I didn't let the hype that the show had from earlier in the year kind of cloud my judgment either. So I kind of, in a sense, I went into it with fresh eyes. I think that's the best way to go into the show is if you don't know much about it and you just put the hype aside or don't know anything about it. You know what I mean?
3: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard to, I know there's been shows going into where I've had problems with that, but Mm -hmm. um, I, I can agree that, if you can go in with that mentality then that's the best way to go into it it, 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 we have a double conflict really in our profession because we we try to be in the know about all the new shows coming out right what's the biggest thing to watch so of course we're gonna get spoiled to some things but at the same Mm -hmm. time it's like how do you go into a show with fresh eyes unclouded by that bias that you've heard about from everyone exactly
0: it can it's it's a fine line to walk sometimes it's very hard
3: so this is uh you mentioned before andrew that this is adapted from a light novel series and it is so obvious when you're listening to the show in dub that this was based on a novel because the dialogue is uh long prosy stuff about people contemplating their thoughts um long scenes of the camera kind of panning over a beautiful background while you hear the person talking in the background because we don't want to just uh film someone talking all the time that would be boring And in adapting this for the English translation, I'd say that Bob and Megan, uh, they really got the writing on it. I didn't have any qualms with any of the writing portions of it. Uh, The different characters are personified by the way that they're told to speak in ways that differentiate their backgrounds and their characters, like, especially, like, how they relate to the war, because everyone is tied together in this country by the war. Some people were affected badly by it. Some were pretty impartial to it, and others are still recovering from it. So the writing kind of helps to emulate that a lot. Um, We'll get to specific characters as we go along. But, yeah, as far as, like, was this good or bad writing, it was good. This was very good writing, and I'm someone who really likes well-written dialogue, that doesn't come off as just being read off of a script me so too I, I, yeah mm. full thanks it this actually reminded me a whole lot of hyoka because hyoka was also adapted from a light novel series by Animation, and it, it kind of had the same uh fine line to walk of making the characters engaging with their long wordy thoughts mm. while still being uh well written and it was yeah that interesting being said, now that being said i need to talk about the direction a little bit here um this show looks like a film and it sounds like a film. There is this serious stalwart tone that the directors gave to all the actors throughout that makes this sound like a theatrical production. And like, you could say uh, film or you could even say like stage theatrical level. It is that level of seriousness, episode to episode. And I like that, it makes it stand out a bit from the serialized shows that we usually get, which this is still a serialized show, but it, it feels very much like it was like lo- like a long movie just broken up into 13 different broken points. Mm. The the only thing I could complain about, um, and this is a bias of mine, is that I could sense the actors in the booth a lot of the times. Not for all the actors, but for a good chunk of them, I, I got the sense that I could feel actors speaking into a microphone. Um, okay. I liked yeah, I like when I can feel the act- when I can't feel the actors and the dialogue just comes through naturally. Naturally is not the right word. No, um, when the dialogue comes through and I forget that this is a uh, constructed piece of media. And I feel like I'm watching mm. a documentary almost. I like that, but I think that might just be the fact that I've seen I've seen a few anime in my time, like two or three or something like that. And I'm just f- <laughs> I'm just familiar with uh, with the 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 tone and the regular way that anime voice actors sound is my problem. Okay. Um it didn't really take anything away from the overall performances like like I said the writing was very good the acting was theatrical throughout it's just that one thing where every once in a while I just stopped to think hmm, I I can see the actor standing in a booth in front of a microphone with And it kind of
0: and it, it kind of took you out of it, the moments here and there it, I'm guessing. i
3: yeah it took me okay. out of this this it's not a fantasy world but this um this alternative history world and back into the modern world
0: okay
1: okay i think where i oh yeah by the way i think i forgot to introduce myself my name is andrew by the way
0: (laughs) we've been been talking for almost a half hour and you forgot to introduce yourself way to go andrew
3: it's just something that's left okay no, that's it. We okay. We gotta start over again. <clears throat> no, no, we're welcome not. Welcome to the Dub Talk Podcast. Uh, this is the you F- no. sit.
1: Your you, you stop that. You stop that.
0: <clears throat> <laughs> sit down.
1: All right, all right. So, uh, where I stand on the dub of this, I think, for the most part, there's a lot. There's an interesting ensemble cast. Like you've got mostly a, a small group of reoccurring characters. And the majority of them are one-shots or one-off characters. Mm-hmm. And I feel a lot of, like, the majority of the main cast and a lot of the what one- like one-off characters, or at least the ones that suck with me the most, I really, really like their performances. I liked how they handled a lot of the range of emotions they were given, the... S- the spontaneity of certain scenes and certain changes as well as gradually building into these characters and making you get into it i agree a lot of that was really solid and really well done and there's a lot of characters performances that i really liked however there was also a couple of like background characters or small bit parts here and there that I, i wouldn't say like i could envision them with a microphone but it sounded like Le- like a little clunky to me, I guess, so to speak. It sounded a okay. little less authentic or natural, like a couple people in the background. and
0: Basically compared to, like, the major characters who were giving you these stellar performances, there were some to, background, yeah. like, characters that kind of took you out of it a little
1: bit. There were some background characters. Okay. And this is also going to be a weird thing when I think I discuss it, but there are... Okay, so... Annie has a very interesting like design style with a lot of these characters like some of them it's like they're pretty unique to the world of Violet Evergarden but a couple of them it's like I feel like I've seen this character or these character designs from similar stuff of theirs or th- things like that like are, are
2: you referring to the fact that uh, some of the character designs make this show look like the bad future for free no <laughs> what I
0: kind of Gotten that a couple times actually. Look, what's his, what's like, his
2: name? Cla- Claudia looks enough like a character who could be in Free and looks haggard enough and I think like Claudia. Oh, almost,
0: this is Claudia looks like a bit of an adult Rin.
1: God damn it!
0: And then God you have Gilbert. It be just kind feel, it's of like, like oh,
1: things went really bad for them in the future, <laughs> didn't they? Oh dear. So, okay. <laughs> wow. Two th- two things. Two things. One, this wouldn't be the future. This would be an alternate pass. You, yeah, are you great. don't know what happened yes. in between now and then.
0: It's true. The, the, like, yeah, this seems more like al-
1: it seems like alternate universe, uh, this is like, this is more like a, what do you call it, uh, a steampunk alternate u- universe past of the free universe and What makes you like think? That. But, what here's make- the thing. Here's <laughs> okay. the thing. Uh, the thing I was gonna say is, there's a couple of characters where I feel like, just looking at some of these designs and hearing some of the voices... It feels like there is a disconnect for at least one or two of them. There's one specifically I'll talk about later, but mm, I it think feels I know like one you're talking about too. It feels like there there's like one character where it's like they look too young and sound way too old. Maybe this character is actually uh, supposed to sound this way, okay. but something about their design just does not make me believe I would hear this voice out of this design. I so feel to like
0: speak. I know exactly which character you're thinking
1: of. Okay. But outside of that, and that was like a minor gripe, but I really do like a lot of the core performances, and a lot of the ones I I wasn't too crazy about at first did eventually grow on me, Mm -hmm. and some of them are just truly, truly stellar. Yeah. And with that, I think we are ready to move on to our first set of characters. Our first set of characters is... I gotta... There's a lot... You know how this is a light novel? Because there's a lot of really weirdo, pseudo-fake Japanese-European names in here.
3: <laughs> hey, I'll give her credit. For at least one of... For a blonde hair character that we're gonna talk about, they did not name her Alice. That in itself is a minor miracle. <laughs> okay.
1: Thank God. But for now, we're gonna talk about Luculia Marlborough and Charlotte Abelfreya Drossel luculia is a luculia is another auto memory doll in training alongside violet in episode three who's trying to get a job and move forward after the death of her parents during the war and her brother who was a former soldier turned drunkard after being discharged and the war being older uh, Charlotte Appelfreya Drossel, yes, we could say that name to show off, um, is a princess who is supposed to marry somebody from a former rival nation, and their marriage will be very significant to the unity and prosperity of them, but there's a contrast about what she wants and what people expect from her. So... Playing the two of these characters uh, is... Playing the role of Luculia is Kira Buckland. Kira Buckland you'll have heard as such characters as Mary Sautome from Kakegurui, Mueta from Kuro Mukuro, Avery from Little Witch Academia, sana from Blame, and Naoka Ueno from A Silent Voice. Playing the role of Charlotte is Stephanie Shea, who has played such characters as Cyborg 003 from Cyborg 009 vs. Devilman. Lotte from Little Witch Academia. Shaherazad from the Magi series. Mackenzie Mack, aka Glitter Spade from Glitter Force Doki Doki. And Mikuru Asahina from The Melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya. Supersize me! Oh, God.
3: Damn it. <laughs> little, little reference Thank you. for all you guys stuck.
1: Amon, would you like to uh, tell the people what you thought of Kira and Stephanie as Luculia and Charlotte? Sure. Uh, this will be fun, because
2: I watched both of these episodes, like, two weeks
1: ago.
0: Oh.
2: <laughs> uh... Look, look, you guys binge shows. I start as early as possible. Been
0: shows, I binge shows. Yours works don't a lot have... better. No, I binge shows, because I don't have them fucking time that's me <laughs> neither do
3: i the memory of a mon duel anyways da, da, da. so it's been a
2: while but my recollection is that i did enjoy both of these performances um uh let's see i i, I liked kira as oh Luculia. You just... thank you Luculia. Uh, I like Laculia. I, I thought Laculia was uh, fun in that first episode as kind of a, a little bit of a viewpoint character for us, the audience, kind of getting to know Violet. Um, I just like what she brought to the role. Like she, she had this very nice, not normality, I guess, but she she seemed like a very like you know confident, typical person. Um, and I like the way that she played. Like you know, who is you know, who's this weird blonde lady who's like really talented but talks like a robot. Um, and, you know, what's her deal? Uh, and I like, I like the way she played, she, uh, her relationship with Violet, I like the way she played her relationship with her brother, who, you know, she cares about, but he's got a lot of issues, and she yes. probably stopped getting into bar fights. War, war fucks you up. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's a pretty, sh- it's a, it's a very pretty show, which is partially about how war is really bad, you should probably not yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah. Um. You know, I, I I liked this um, sense of like kind of strength, but also this vulnerability as somebody who has had to like, kind of you know pull pull herself up and also kind of like try and bring her brother up as well after all the trauma he's endured. Um, and I, I really enjoyed her performance. I thought it was it was very it was very pleasant to listen to. It was really nice. Um, and my recollection is Stephanie Shay did a similarly nice job with Charlotte. Uh, She's got a different set of problems. She has to marry this dude from the kingdom of Flugel.
1: The
0: I'm fact glad you Flugel. remember
1: that name. I forgot the Flugel part. <laughs> I like how you're, you're, you're saying, I have trouble recollecting
0: recomm- re-
1: uh, re- That's because
2: I'm, I'm looking at the Violet, Violet Evergarden wiki to remember who these people are. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: he came prepared, ladies and gentlemen. This is, Damn this,
2: this, it, this, this Amon,
1: stop ruining the illusion! <laughs> no. no! I will ruin whatever illusion I want to. <laughs> <laughs> I do what I want. To, to be honest, I don't blame you. It's important stuff to remember.
2: Also, sidebar, you did a very good job with your fake European names. Most of them sound authentic, and only a few of them sound funny. So, good job good job writer the light novel. You, you did pretty well. You say as
1: we're talking about a girl whose goddamn last name is a cigarette.
2: Drossel's a name for a for a thrush,
3: I think. Luculia oh, Marlboro, Marlboro. yeah, never Marlboro. Mind. Marlboro. Sorry, that's right. I, the majority sure... of our listeners are going to think cigarettes. I'm, su- I'm sure Marlboro used to be a real name at one point. Anyways, but your you You see, stays.
0: I'm thinking Marbo as this town in Massachusetts right now.
2: Yeah, it's true.
0: It's okay. true for Amon and I. <laughs> now, All
2: now, right. now that I've completely derailed the conversation, I enjoyed Stephine as Charlotte, who uh, I, I like the sort of sense of like innocence, but also frustration as somebody who doesn't want to do this, but sort of recognizes why it's important and has to spend a lot of time kind of struggling with that decision of like, I don't want to do this. I don't like how my life is changing. Um, and I, you know, she, I thought she did a, she did a nice, like, you know, young girl voice for the character. Um, which obviously, you know, Stephanie Shea is generally good at. Uh, that's why he cast her in roles like this. Um, what else? I, I, I like the bit she had with, like, her, her tutor, her nanny. Alberta. Who, Alberta. Yeah, just, uh, just, um... Just, uh, just those kind of scenes I thought they were very well done. Coming back to like how a lot of this sounds like a dramatic film. Uh, I thought that this is one of those examples of how well uh, the like director and cast were able to sort of nail the dramatic aspects of selling all the emotional content that's in this uh, series, a lot of which often gets like introduced, developed and concluded in a fairly short amount of time. So I was, I was impressed by that as well. Yeah these are these are both very good performances in my book. All
1: right uh, Steph. Uh, what do you think of Charlotte and Luculia?
0: Um, I didn't actually write any notes for these two, because I found out we were talking about them after I watched these episodes. <laughs> um, But, what I can say, uh, in terms of Kira as Luculia, uh, first of all, she has a cool fucking name. Uh, no, that's not <laughs> what I want to say. <laughs> um, this is one of the more mature-sounding roles I've heard Kira perform with. Because I'm... I'm used to her being with... Voicing characters that have a lot more spunk and energy to
1: them. Sundares.
0: Basically, yes. Uh, the prime one in my head that I'm thinking of as an example is... Um, uh, her, yeah, her name is Belle. Belle from um, Lad, Where she has a lot of spunk and energy and sass to her. But Luculia is more... Is very more mature compared to uh, some of the other characters in this show. Uh, And considering everything that Luculia has experienced and gone through, it shows that she had to grow up into an adult rather quickly. Because she also has to take care of her brother, Spencer, too. um, While he's coming to terms and trying to figure out what he's going to do. Because Spencer blames himself for the death of their parents, actually. So, she's taking the necessary steps forward to move to move forward with her life and achieve new goals, all the while taking care of her Spencer, and that story actually was really, really was really good, and I loved Kira's performance in it. Um, and as for Stephanie as Charlotte, that story was very interesting because when you it it, it does take the classic like story trope of arranged marriage or loveless marriage. And kind of has its own spin on it. Where... Because the job that Violet has is she's writing these public love letters for Charlotte to her fiancé, uh, Damien. And, um... It turns into a very interesting dynamic with Charlotte and whoever plays Damien, because we don't have confirmation in that... Um, where they start writing their own letters to each other it becomes like this the most hilarious argument in the world it's great and... basically
1: for a while it's just kind of like two dolls who are just kind of writing this back and forth being like my dearest one you make my yes. heart to flutter yes. it was like
0: but then violet was like because of charlotte's worries violet was like let me g-. she decides to go to Fugle because we find out at the end of the episode that it was um her boss Catalea, it, who who is yeah. writing for the prince, um, they're like, let's do this. They're gonna write their own letters. We're just gonna uh, advise them on it. So Which th-
1: allowed that to, to progress more naturally.
0: Yes, and that was it, it, so it kind of turned this classic story of like, is this a loveless marriage, this arranged marriage going on, kind of gives it a twist to it. Uh, and Stephanie's concerns and worries about it being a loveless marriage, when you clearly know that she cares about her betrothed, that she went to great lengths for it to be accepted that she be betrothed and eventually marry this man. Um, And that performance was very nice. Though the funniest thing in the world (laughs) to me and I actually mentioned, I think I mentioned this to Andrew. I can't remember if I mentioned this to everybody last night. I know I mentioned this to Andrew. (laughs) Um, When Charlotte meets up with Damien again in the flower garden at night and well I think part of it's through the letters where she confesses that she's a crybaby we all know that Stephanie Shea also is Usagi aka Sailor Moon mm-hmm. right mm-hmm.
4: mm-hmm.
0: so here's my thing I started getting flashbacks of Sailor Moon and because we don't know who Damien is confirmed to be unfortunately and the credits do not help us at all My brain, I was listening to her exchange with Damien. I'm like, is this Robbie (laughs) Damon? Are we having a Sailor Moon tuxedo mask moment here? (laughs) Is this what happened? Oh my god. Andrew thinks it's Max Middleman, but I think it's Robbie because it'd be the funniest thing in the world. But, um, (laughs) but yeah, I kind of got a kick out of it. I'm like, if this is actually a thing that happened, you clever bastards. (laughs) You clever, clever bastards. But, um, so yep. what you're saying is you
1: like Stephanie Shay? I
0: do, I do. It was it was definitely fun, a fun performance as a princess, a young princess who's rather unsure about going into a possibly loveless marriage, and she wants to know if he has the same feelings for her as she does for him. So I enjoyed it a lot, but still, it'd be the funniest thing if it was true. <laughs> if it was Rockville Gold, it'd be funny.
3: You know what would be really Noah? funny about that is um, uh, talking about Charlotte and Damien for a second there um, they both work the words garden and moon into their letters which is all a reference just yes. because they met each other first in the garden under the moon Yep. But mm-hmm. if this was really a Tuxedo Mass moon reunion then that would have even more meaning
4: yep. Roses and the moon Yup
3: yep. yep. Alright so take foil hat off for a second here Take that hat
1: off, young man. We got work um, to do. I want to
3: talk, um, first I want to talk about Kira Buckland, um, because just like Lilac, I mostly associate Kira with uh, spunky, hyperactive characters. The one I know her best from is actually Madoka from LaGrange, the Flower of Rene. So hearing her in this more relaxed tone is refreshing because, uh, you you know, you you take the voice and it's nice to hear that the actor can do other voices as well, which I know Kira can do a Mm. lot of voices. So it's always nice to hear her when she's in a dub. So, for this one, though, she seemed to give the character of Lakulia a West Coast dialect. Um, like, we kind of mentioned at the top that they don't really give British accents to any of these characters, which is good, because if one character had a British accent, they'd all have to have them. So, in this sense, Kira gives uh, Lakulia this almost West Coast dialect with a gentle demeanor, and... Um, it's like she kind of, like, rolls her syllables around a little bit. Like, I, I was listening to her dialogue, and I wish I wrote one line down to use as an example, but her, her her syllables just kind of, like, they roll around a little bit, like a rolling ball or a spinning ball when you hear them, which is, uh, like...
4: Interesting. I, I, okay. Yeah, I
3: had to visualize her speaking patterns. But it, it's uh, it's much different from... Like, she's not royalty like Charlotte. She's not a war hero like Violet. So, you know, she's a, it was a more country voice to her with that, you know, like I said, more West Coast dialect. And that uh, helped differentiate her from all the other characters. And she does not lose that when she gets more up in arms about uh, her brother's personality or in being flabbergasted by Violet's uh, personality. Like, there's uh, a scene where both Violet and laculia have to ghostwrite for each other. And it's in that moment that we get some of Kira's... Uh, acting to personify this girl is weird is what she's thinking about Violet but I'm fascinated by yeah. her but she's weird but but I admire her but she's really weird so and I, I kind of wish the yeah. Cure had been in more episodes that Laculia had been in more episodes because she's she would she's a very um like, she's a good exemplar of what I think normal people you can't see it but I'm doing air quotes here normal people in this world are like um what you're saying is she's basically
1: interesting because she's an outsider looking in at this almost strange, fictitious person that is No, no
3: I'm not, because all the characters view Violet with a bit of um, absurdity. Like, they're looking at her like she's a bit of, an, of a marvel, especially when she takes the gloves off. But what I like about Kira, and I'm going to use this to... Or what I like about Laculia, and I'm going to use this transition into Charlotte, is that every episode is designed to build the world, is to help us understand the rules the setup the customs the mentality of this country that we're in so uh laculia kind of exists to show how people become auto memory dolls the demand for them and kind of like why someone would get into that because they're they're somewhere between a secretary and a transcriber in terms of job positions so that being said mm-hmm. charlotte is the episode is the entire episode is meant to show us how the politics of this world work because we knew going into it that it was a monarchy that they still use kings and queens, and in this episode we kind of understand now that the war's ended what does the royalty do and Charlotte kind of offers us um, almost like a twist on the Marie Antoinette mentality of a woman of a of a spoiled princess who doesn't want to get married because I don't want to be tied down no she's a very devoted individual. She she takes the time to understand the diplomacy between the two countries. She understands the severity of representing her people in this unity and why it would offer so much stability to the two countries for the two of them to get married. That being said, like you said, Lilac, she wants to understand that she's not going into a loveless marriage. And that's where I'm really yep. uh, surprised by uh, Stephanie's performance. Although this is a voice I don't think I've heard on her before because, and my notes here just say, Is there something in the back of her throat? Because she's got like this this slight falsetto. Like she's trying to push even higher than stuff in these normal high voices. And just throw me off a little bit. But, you know, this is a character that's a lot younger and she even admits herself she's a crybaby. So I guess we're permitted to have a bit of a higher speaking voice as well
1: i think it's actually really interesting since i i I guess i'll transition to charlotte first as part of my discussion i find it interesting because it's like i think she does sound like a lower tone than you usually expect for stephanie playing this kind of character it seems like a little bit sassier and i guess sometimes a little more uh done with people's shit or she she just kind of wants to sleep her days in every now and then and she doesn't want to deal with the princessy stuff but you find out more about like her vulnerabilities and like the feelings she has Mm. how she like she wants this to be something that works and she's afraid of what'll happen or if people just assume i am just doing this because i'm forced to but it's like no this is something i do want to try i do want to work towards so when it actually does become her and damien writing the letters i think it's a Really, really interesting. You see a little more of her natural, like, happiness go in, as well as a little more of her playful side. Mm -hmm. Also, also her competitive side, too. See, you're talking about the thing in the garden that's funny. No, one of the parts that I thought was amazing was where they're talking about it's like, I, like, he said, they're being honest, I am a bit selfish. Sometimes I may not always be with you. Sometimes I may wish to go out in the f- field and go hunting. And I know that is not a ladies thing. And it's like, what makes you think that I wouldn't want to go, oh, <laughs> hunting? It's like, it's like, don't under- underestimate
0: me. Don't underestimate that was cute. me. I'd be all
1: going for hunting. Hell, I could even be a better shot than you. And one of the things is because this is like, basically the tabloids is just like rich butler people being like, A Decree from the Princess, and you see everybody reading that and reading the newspapers, everybody's getting into that part, they are like, ooh, this is getting (laughs) juicy. It's becoming like,
0: it's like becoming like a a reality show, in a sense. It
1: it basically is a reality show, in a sense, and that's what's really interesting. It's a lot sassier, and a lot like, deeper tone, but it seems also more like, playful, it's like, I guess I used the word sassy already. It's an interesting demeanor for seemingly what could have just been a very high-pitched, dainty princess character that was a lot more interesting and engaging than I was expecting, and I really enjoyed aid Stephanie's performance of it. Kira, I thought, also did a really good job as Luculia. Like, she usually does play, like, a little, like, I guess like sundere, sundere, or a little more like arrogant characters but she can do really like sweet kind people too and i think this is a really good one you see both like her friendliness her her drive to try and get better as well as some of her inner turmoil with the stuff she's dealing with her brother and trying to move forward with that i think kira does a really good job at making that sound conventional and i think she is pretty good she shows up like two more times in the show but she she's one of the ones that actually does get to come back again most everybody else is a one and done save for like one scene at episode nine though i i I think we're good with this group of characters correct
3: yeah this this is uh they're good standalone characters and i think it's uh i've heard a lot of people say that they actually like the standalone characters more than they like the more like the more central
1: The more narrative story stuff. I've also so, heard that, I and I can see why. So let's see let's why. not focus
3: mm. on the the narrative people. Let, let's talk about more uh, standalone characters. Can we do that? Yay!
1: We can, and we'll talk about probably some of the more interesting ones to me. In my honest to God. When you say opinion. interesting,
3: do you mean heartbreaking? Right. Oh
0: God! <laughs> <I'll>, <laughs> you fucking read <laughs> between you.
1: the lines, people. <laughs> All right. Uh, Okay, so we're going to talk about two characters. We're going to talk about uh, Oscar Webster and Anne Magnolia. Oscar is a critically renowned playwright who Violet goes to help him write uh, his first ever uh, children's play when he's in a bit of a rut. And Anne Magnolia is a little girl whose mother sends for Violet to come help her out for an entire week and help her mother write letters while her mother is a little bit sickly in bed. And I could also briefly mention uh, the mother is played by Wendy Lee. Uh, But playing uh, Oscar and Anne, uh, playing Oscar is Joe Oakman, who plays such characters as Enderf from Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle, Paul Hanbridge from Little Witch Academia, Hasaguchi from Ajin and the Azura King from Bungo Stray Dogs. Playing the role of Anne is Cassandra Lee Morris. Cassandra Lee Morris has played such characters as Neri from Children of the Whales, Alice from ID Zero, Annabelle Cream from Low Witch Academia, and Sarah, Red Saber, aka Nero, from Fate Extra Last Encore. So, I'm on. What did you think of these two characters?
2: Hmm, readers, I hope you have tissues handy. It's gonna, it's gonna get sad. Oh yeah, real sad. Oh god. No, these are two very good performances. I thought. Um, uh, the. <laughs> so yeah, uh, so both both of these episodes are huge bummers. What are you talking about? <laughs> they i want to answer you literally but i know i know that i know you know
1: <laughs> you know he's just we being a smart know. ass he, we all know um
2: but yeah i thought these are both these are both great um uh, i really i really enjoyed joe as um oscar uh he just he did he did such a good job especially in the beginning of presenting this guy as somebody who is just so tired and if nothing has gone right and he is just tired he doesn't have the energy to deal with it anymore. I'm gonna hire this lady to type out my manuscript because I don't have the energy to do anything except lie down and drink heavily. Um, and he, I, I I thought he just brought that quality to it so well of um just how like set his depression was at the start of that episode, um and then also like being able to you know when he's flashing back to happier times being able to. Uh, sell that aspect of it, and just how much he, you know, uh, misses his family, who's no longer around anymore. Um, it was a really, it was a really good performance, and I, th- I especially think this this episode like needed that. Like, I feel like if you had not cast somebody as Oscar who could pull off the emotional range the episode requires, mm-hmm. the whole thing would have just fallen flat on itself, and it would not have been nearly as good. Um, and I have sort of similar thoughts on uh, Cassandra playing. Uh, Anne. Um, which you know, she she doesn't have quite the same range just because you know her character is a lot younger. It's a lot more of like, you know, oh, there, there's there's a giant doll outside, and then wondering why well, you know why can't I hear my mom more?
1: Like, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, little thing, I like that her being a young child when she hears about a doll coming, <laughs> she's one of the few people who makes the not unrealistic assumption that this is a real life doll yep no i i i, I also found
3: that very amusing. even after the show's uh, done i'm not entirely convinced she's not
1: <laughs> even then why are the the fact that they're called dolls is strange to me just because when i heard that i assumed they, she was like a lady robot when the show was first described to me. Yeah,
2: I feel, I, I, I feel, I feel like this is one of these things that's like in the light novels, and it never made it the adaptation. Like, like it's a holdover for like dictation machines or something like that. Like, they they used to be mechanical, and now people do it. I don't know.
1: Okay, please um, continue. Anyways,
2: um, yeah, no, I thought she she did she did such a wonderful job of playing like this sweet girl. Who, you know, just wants to see your mom, who's been in bed a lot, and, you know, mom's a little too sick to hang out with her, so I'm going to play with Violet, and Violet, let's do stuff together. Because it's nice having, like, someone around the house who's not just, like, the maid who kind of wants me to, like, just stay out of trouble. Um, and then, you know, things get sad. Really sad. Heartbreakingly sad. <laughs> um... And I, yeah, I, I, uh, and I, thought, I thought Cassandra just did a wonderful job of nailing that, and it never felt like saccharine or forced, or like you know, it, it, it all, all the emotions felt very earned, and especially given the plot line of that episode, I feel like that's that's very important. Like this, I feel like this one could have very easily veered into like cheap weepy melodrama, and I was very impressed that it didn't on a writing level, and I think the acting very much backed that up. And I think, uh, Cassandra, as being more or less like the lead of that episode, I think was essential to that.
1: Oh, definitely.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, I like the, I like both these performances a lot.
1: All right, uh, Steph, uh, I agreed that you'll go, uh, last for this segment. Noah. Yeah,
3: um, uh, okay, um, I'm gonna talk about, uh, Anne first, because when I first, uh, watched this, um, the show, I didn't, uh, look up who the characters were, um, um, uh, Before watching the episodes. Like, I wrote down the character, the cast list as I was watching the show. So, I didn't know who they had actually cast as Anne while I was watching it, and I could have sworn that I thought they had actually cast a child for this one, because uh, Cassandra has this uncanny ability to not just sound uh, vocal-wise like a child, but she also has the inflections and the muddled speech patterns of a child. Like, as someone who lives in a house with a five-year-old who is you know, still learning how to speak elegantly. That there are like little quirks, little little uh, ways to deliver dialogue that you feel like only comes off well from a kid. And I don't know how Cassandra does that either. She is still herself, an immortal child, or she's just studied how children speak very well. But she did Anne's really well. It was the the one of the most convincing adults playing children roles i probably heard in a very long time as for the actual uh content of it yeah her her uh inability to accept that violet is an actual human being um and continuously treats her like a doll to play with is uh is very amusing throughout the entire episode like when you drink where does the tea go like, that kind of
0: attitude. Eventually, it will leave my body and go back to the Earth. <laughs> and,
3: and then she's just like, Whoa.
0: And then she realizes by the time Violet leaves, like, wait. Oh. <laughs> Hold on. She means the bathroom. That
3: what...
1: She's like that image of uh, Popico where it's like, ah, I understand. It doesn't, it doesn't really understand. Yes. Yeah, she,
3: she yes. was a... She, the, the whole episode kind of hinges on not seeing the twist at the end coming. And by having the episode entirely mm-hmm. focused on Anne's, uh, her shenanigans, um, <laughs> it kind of threw me off to what was actually going on. Like, why her mom actually hired Violet in the first place. So, I, I know, Andrew, you said that you kind of figured out the twist uh, kind of coming, uh, before it like, over? Like, midway
1: through, like, midway through, like, the whole, th- the first assumption you as the viewer think is, uh, their father, uh, her father died in the war. So you assume this is, like, a letter she is writing to her dead husband as a sort of, like, way of grieving or coming Mm. to it. But when the, that's what I first assumed it was going to be. That's the thing. I was
0: going the same line, and then I figured out partway through, like, no, this is is
1: once she's yelling at her mom about not spending time with her, I'm like, these are all for her. Or, like, this is for her. This is a letter for her.
3: I didn't get that. Until the twist actually happened, I was sucker punched by it. I would okay.
0: I no. see. The, see. See. The twist for me is I didn't know that the mom was having letters written, like a bunch of letters written. See, for every that's
1: that's that's year. the thing. I assumed that's it was one realize. letter. Yeah. I assumed it was like one letter, and she needed a lot of time to workshop it. The part I never caught on to the fact that she wrote fifty
3: years see, worth yeah, of that, letters. Yep, that's the part now I didn't. See, catch That with. got me heavily. Not just because I didn't see it coming. Oh, but because that because my mom actually did something similar to that. She actually wrote a letter for me when I was first born that I was not allowed to read. Like, she didn't even tell me she wrote it until I was 18. So, there there's like that, that one-two sucker punch of it. It's like, oh my god, yes, I know how that feels. Like, for all I know, she wrote another letter that I won't get until I'm 50. I don't know, but yeah, that that uh decision that that act for your children really conveys the importance of uh communication like how many of us actually are would love to get a handwritten note in the mail not an email not a text not a tweet but an actual letter in the mail yeah that would just break our goddamn Mm -hmm. hearts so yeah that whole episode my favorite episode was that episode and i should probably talk a little bit about oscar now shouldn't i (laughs) yes you should okay well i'm gonna keep this brief then because on the paper i am holding in front of me i do not have any notes written for joe actually and i'm sorry but it's because this was an episode that kind of washes over you and i should probably point out that the reason why i like the show a lot um like uh so much so that i can actually forgive some of the flaws which we will talk about is because it's all about writing it is a show for people who appreciate writing like, not just, like, dialogue, not just script writing, but actual words, like, prose, poetry, flowery language, or simple, deep language. It's something for them to appreciate, because all the characters have, that are, like, interacting with Violet find themselves drawn to the power of words throughout this whole show. So, Oscar's performance, like, Joe's performance as Oscar, is entirely hinged on that, that one writer who has hit a wall in his life. And as someone who has, you know, tried to do my own writing and still enjoys writing for the fun of it, I've known that personality, and Joe conveyed that without being too dour, without being too crawling in my skin. These wounds, mm. not God real damn it! <laughs> you really went with
0: a Lincoln Park reference. I
3: thought like it was either that or um, I, I had a sonnet somewhere, but I didn't write it oh down. My God! So. But anyways, really, uh, really worn down mentality. It's a believable kind. It's the kind of, he's a creative soul who's doing what he loves, or is what he's good at also, but is just stuck at a wall. And there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do but keep drinking until you get to the bottom of the bottle. Mm. And Joe, yeah, Joe pulls it off well. Like, I, I didn't write any notes down, but he did it good. There wasn't anything standout-ish about it. Like, I don't think this was one of the more standout performances, but it was good enough for what the role called for.
1: I disagree on the fact of not being a standout because I think once everything kind of washes over him that he's been feeling and not realizing, that's when I really feel like he pulls some legitimate uh, emotional chops and I was very, very impressed with the way he delivered it. Um, As for uh, the rest of uh, Joe's performances, uh, he just sounds like, I think uh, Aman had said, he just sounds extremely noticeably tired like he's worn out he is hit a rut his house is a mess he doesn't care anymore uh he drinks to wake he drinks to sleep that kind of thing and it's really interesting that he sounds rugged and beat down like he doesn't sound like bitter or angry but he just sounds tired and when he does write he does get more into it and the the conflict about the way Violet reminds him of his daughter and the feelings he has or the things he was afraid he couldn't say or never got to say or never will say again, because, uh, uh w- what happens to his, do- his daughter? Like he loses his wife and then he loses his kid due to an illness. And that's something that affects him. Just the, the way he delivers it is very gruff, but understandably like rugged. And so not, it's like realistic and it when he when he comes to that realization when violet does that thing where he takes a literal a phrase he says like a turn of phrase and it's just like uh just imagine like trying to jump across this river and fly with your parasol that would be something It's like okay i'm gonna do it And then it takes him a second. Wait, what? Uh, No, 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 no. You stop doing that. You stop doing that. What are you doing? And then he has like a eureka moment of, oh my God, of all the things he misses of his daughter, all the things he wanted to say, all the things. And it just comes pouring and pouring. And it's, oh, it's really good. That
3: scene was so pretty. It scene was so pretty and heartbreaking. There's water splashing and she's like stepping on a leaf and leaping into the air. And there's like... 500 frames a second. Oh. And it's so beautiful.
1: Every time Kyoani fucks with water, it looks gorgeous. God damn. Honestly, I love I think that is my personal favorite episode of the show, to be honest. I I strongly feel that way. That being said, uh Cassandra as Anne, which as a personal thing that's amusing to me, I like the fact that uh okay, so in Persona Five there is a character named Morgana, played by Cassandra Boris, who has a crush on a character named Anne. I find it particularly funny that Morgana is now playing a little girl named Anne. That'll also get really funny when we discuss Asserted Somebody later on. Now, I, 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 I find it interesting that you mention that, because usually when I hear Cassandra, like, she plays... I think b- more, like, stoic or, I guess, gruffer girls. Like, something, like, a little quieter or a little gruffer. More tomboyish characters or just young boy characters in general. Like, there's something about the way her tone is. Like, makes me think of her characters like Taiga or the like like that. Or Morgana, who is a male character but has this, like, tomboyish, like, rambunctiousness. This is just straight up, like a uh, girly girl girl who likes dre- like dresses and things. And she has a surprisingly higher pitch than I think I am typically used to hearing from her. And I find that really interesting. It's lighter and it's like, it's really interesting. And she sounds so cute and fun and so ready to play. But when she does let her heart out and she talks about what she's really been feeling... It's very heartbreaking and very, very touching. And I I adore her interactions with Violet. Just the dynamic between those two characters is really, really precious and interesting. And it's a nice contrast to this very hyper-energetic girl who just wants to play and do stuff all the time to this much more reserved, cool, collective character. And I think that's a really nice dynamic. And I think Cassandra plays this character spectacularly. All right, Steph. Oh boy.
3: Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Here's a box of tissues for you. Here's a box for you. I got... Here's three boxes
0: for you. Thank Lila. you. Right. I might need it. I apologize in advance if I start crying. Um, mm-hmm. And I say that because, uh, if anything, these episodes really, really hit home for me. And I'll probably explain why in a second. But, um... <laughs> Starting, I'm going to talk about Cassandra Lee Morris first, uh, as Anne. She's an adorable, rambunctious little girl uh, who just wants to spend time with her mom, and <laughs> she portrays that very, very nicely. Where she's just trying to, she, she knows more about the situation, and what's going on. She knows what's going on with her mom. You, you can't deny that. You can see it in the character and as well as in Cassandra's performance where she, all she wants right now is just to be with her mom and um, she sees Violet as someone who's taking that time away from her uh, and it's, it's very very moving Cassandra's performance seeing this little girl uh, wanting to be with her mom and then by the end we see her slowly like transitioning and growing up as these letters that her mom had written, or being read, that is so sweet. Ugh. it was really good. I I love the performance a lot. <sighs> this is the hard part. Um. So Joe as Oscar. Uh. I th- this episode I think resonated with me a lot more, to the point where I finished this episode seven last night, and I ended up crying an extra 20 minutes I couldn't watch anymore that night Um, and a lot of it has to do with this performance because um, oh boy Um, so I don't typically talk much about very very personal stuff uh, going on but some of Oscar's story really hit home for me because my grandfather uh, he's 84 years old and uh, he was diagnosed a year or two ago with dementia Um, but he earlier this year or late last year he um, my mom went with him and my grandparents my grandmother to the doctor and um, found out that he had or he has I should say um, stomach cancer and It really, really hits because my grandparents don't know that he has stomach cancer, and part of that reason is because when my mom was talking to the doctor, um, (laughs) it came down to do we want to put him through all of this treatment, possibly make him suffer more than he already is, uh, especially at his age, or is it, do we just think about quality of life and just let it go. Um, and my mom had decided just to prefer quality of life rather than just letting him go through some sort of treatment, especially at his age. And, um, it's slowly, it's becoming a thing where we obviously don't know how long he's gonna be with us. And, um, what sucks even more is I was actually on the phone with my mom earlier the day before I watched this episode, and um, she mentioned to me, because he's actually on and off for the past few weeks, been sick and throwing up, and um, the EMTs were actually called last week to my grandparents' house, and she spoke to the doctor, and he said that the next time that happens, make sure you go to the ER, because it could have something to do with the stomach cancer. And, um, it just really hurts, because it's heavily implied that Oscar's daughter, at least in my mind, with the hair loss and the hat she's wearing partway through, to me, it translates into cancer of some sort. So, it really hit very hard for me, because, um, my grandparents helped raise my sister and I when my parents were divorced, and, um... And they were always across the street and he always has he always has this energy and this happy attitude and he still does but I visited them a couple weeks ago and unfortunately you can tell he's slowly deteriorating and it's it really really sucks in all honesty and um I obviously we don't know how much longer he's gonna be here and yet, he even with his dementia even with the the cancer going on right now uh (laughs) he's he's still this happy person he still knows who i am even though i'm so far away and i don't get to go home much and um (laughs) it just really 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 sucks for me and um how joe manages to portray this grieving father it really really moved me in a way to the point where obviously as you can hear by how i sound right now it was very very powerful for me it really hit home and um it was definitely one of my um favorite it was definitely one of if not my favorite episode of the show because of how personal it got for me and God damn it. <laughs> Ugh, God damn, It's okay. this performance! It's- I'm having my moment right now. It's The yeah. fact that it's something I'm going through right now with my grandfather. and Because um, the only people who know about the stomach cancer right now are myself, my mom, my stepdad, and my sister. My grandparents don't know, we haven't really told any other family. The only reason why I'm throwing it in this podcast, despite that, is not really anyone in my family really listens <laughs> to the podcast, so I feel like I'm okay. Um,
3: but but Lilac, I thought we were your family.
0: Family by blood. Shut your mouth. <laughs> the point being, you, you, I was trying.
1: The point being, this felt like a place to be able to talk about right. that, also in part with the episode itself. Got it.
0: Basically, and- yes. But, um, and yeah yeah this this really really hit home for me um, with what's going on with my family right now. Uh, yeah and a lot of it comes down to both Joe's performance of Oscar as well as um, Violet and the performance for that episode. So I mean for some of you guys I know you're saying that Joe's performance may not have stood out to you as much. Um, it definitely stood out for me, but more for personal reasons. But yeah.
1: Oh. Okay.
2: Also, I found out why they're called dolls. Why? Oh, uh, according according to according to the Violet Evergarden wiki, it is established in the light novels that uh, basically there's an inventor dude, and his wife was a novelist, and she went blind, and she was really depressed about it. So he basically just made a little machine that you speak into it, and it types of a document based on what you talk uh and that's what an auto memories doll is originally and now at this point that name is now applied to like humans who do the same thing interesting okay now,
3: see, i would really have thought that they would have like worked that into the main show somewhere
2: That's what
1: adaptations are weird all right uh next we will be covering uh two fellow auto memory dolls that work with our main character violet uh, Erica Brown and Iris Canary. Uh, play
3: Very on the nose names.
1: <laughs> Very on the nose names, indeed. Uh, Erica Brown is played by Christine Marie Cabanos, and Iris Canary is played by Jeremy Lee. Uh, Christine Cabanos has played such characters as Zuru from Blame, Sammy from Children of the Whales, Claire Hojo from ID Zero, Rita from Kuro Mukuro, and Rani the Eighth from Fade Extra last encore jeremy le has played such characters as katarina kaledia from cyborg 009 call of justice Mi- mikiko aka mikio kawamoto from devil man crybaby regina from Glareforce doki doki maya mikuri from id0 and yukina Shirhari from kuro mukuro aman uh what did you think of these two performances
2: uh, I think I both enjoyed
1: them. Uh, I don't have as much to say
2: about Christine's performance just because Erica is a very quiet character <laughs> and just does not say a lot in the show, at least to my recollection. What you does say I did enjoy. Like, I do think she, she got across that sort of uh, quiet, timidness uh, to the character. I did like the bit in the last episode where it becomes very obvious that she wrote her little letter to... Um, was it Benedict? I think. It's, I think it was. Benedict. I'm pretty yes, sure yeah. it is. It, it seems Benedict. heavily
0: implied it's Benedict.
2: Which uh, I thought I thought was very cute, and I thought um, Christine played well. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't have a lot specific to say, just because like Erica doesn't do a super lot. Um, Christine was pretty good where it came up, though. Uh, however, I have a lot more to say
3: about uh, Jeremy Lee, because uh, the greatest auto memory doll in the city. <laughs> Iris.
0: So so, so, so she says.
2: So she so she says. Um, I liked a lot of her. I, I, I enjoyed Iris' character. I liked um, her sort of, you know, peppy spunkiness, especially in the episode where she and Violet go back to her hometown, and you get a lot of that uh, mm-hmm. contrast between Iris's and Violet's personality. Um, I thought she just did... I, I liked her. Like, I liked all this confidence she exuded while she's in the city, uh, and then especially in that episode where she has to go back home, where she's just some kid... And everyone's a little condescending about the whole, oh, you live in the city and you have a job now. That's very nice. Don't you want to marry this nice man and move back home? Come on, we know you want to. Come on. Come on. Come back. <laughs> um, I, know, I, 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 I thought she did a good job of, like, sort of balancing out, like, you know, this is her family. She cares about them. But she's also deeply frustrated with them, and they don't get it. Uh, and that's irritating. Um... Sorry, this is also one of the episodes I haven't seen in a while. <laughs> <It's> the, <laughs> it was the whole thing with the family. No, and the I, I remember I re- re- what happens and try to come up more salient points just about the th- performance.
3: <laughs> Like I, I... come on come on and see the amazing amon remember an episode from 2 weeks ago <laughs> $5 a ticket just oh my be God. sitting
2: on a stool with sort of my, my my fingers pressed against my forehead <laughs> it's like there, there was, was a fight during a barbecue <laughs>
0: <laughs> about some guy that she didn't want invited to the party
2: <laughs> um
0: <laughs> who precisely. apparently who was who was almost he was almost named Amon as well. <laughs> his name was Amon.
1: I <laughs>
2: know how it is.
0: <laughs> He's like, Amon, you're in the show. <laughs>
2: yeah,
3: there's another one. <laughs> no, no, it was his great 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 grandfather, apparently.
2: Um <laughs> uh... No, I, enjoy, I, enjoy, like, uh, I like I like I like Caitlyn again, like especially in that episode. Iris has to like cover a lot, where she starts out as very proud that she's getting invited back home, and then having just kind of deal with the crushing disappointment of like, wait a minute, you guys, you guys paid for me? Oh, <laughs> that was so heartbreaking.
1: I, <laughs> I know it was.
2: Um... I just, I just like sort of the conflict between her and her parents and how that like plays out and resolves itself like I, I thought this was like a good, a good meaty role for a character who I think um, probably could have become like more of a side character if the show wanted to and I thought um, I thought Jeremy was able to like bring out a lot of what made that character interesting there uh, I liked it a lot
0: see I relate to Iris on a personal level
2: <laughs> Do tell
0: <laughs> um not on not on the emotional level that Joe's Oscar did for me. Uh, so if nobody knew this fact about me, I'm from the middle of nowhere in Maine, Ooh. and Iris is a god di- goddamn country bumpkin. <laughs> like, <laughs> so <laughs> what?
3: Welcome to bum fuck nowhere. <laughs> exactly.
0: So I really I actually really relate to this to iris as a character because um i'm this girl who who grew up in the countryside left for the big city to get a big big old job and then sometimes when i go home my family's like but don't you want to move back in? no, no. <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to move back home. i, I, I can just about?
3: imagine you lie, like like so, so politely being like oh that's sweet you think i want to move away from the city
0: I'd no. No. <laughs> rather not and I-, um, I actually have to also agree with Amon in terms of Jeremy's performance of it because she does have a lot of spunk and energy to her and compared to some of the other um, auto memory dolls um, this character has to have a lot, of sp- a lot of spunk and confidence and energy to her and I love Jeremy's performance a lot again the fact that I can relate to this character very very strongly shows how good of a performance Jeremy has um. As for Christine Marie Cabano says, Erica, I almost said Jeremy again. This names are s- too close for me. Wow. Um. As for Christine, Erica. Unfortunately, what I kind of don't like about Erica's character is her story and development comes very, very early on, as in like episode two. And I'm not a fan of that because you didn't really get to see much of Erica after that. Like, it's like the character peaked too early in a sense. Um, And I was disappointed because I did want to see more of Erica as a character and see Christine shine a bit more. Cause, um, for those of you who probably also don't recall, I'm more used to Christine Marie Cabanos as this slight, not stoic and not monotone, little gamer girl named Chiaki <laughs> from Daikon Rampa.
1: What? I love her and she's so good in that.
0: Yes. So this, char- this character of Erika is similar in the quiet department but not in the stoic monotone department if that makes sense. Because um, Erika does have this quiet determination about her because her big thing in her um. Uh, story arc in episode 2 is she's questioning herself as to why she became a doll in the first place and it's kind of being lived through Violet where she's trying to understand why Violet's decided to become a a doll and it's kind of a self-reflection but she's using Violet as this um, mirror in a sense uh, to reflect on herself as to why she wants to uh, be a doll in the first place and this this is such a it's a such a quiet determination like you can you can feel that Erica really wants to keep going as this doll despite she's still learning too because she has her screw-ups as well and I like how Christ- Christine portrays that a lot it's def it's it's very different than what I'm used to her as of right now to be fair of course I do need to hear more her more things. Aside from her being Chiaki and Dagon Rampa, but, um, that and the little. She was also, um, what the fuck's her name in V3? The little magic witch person. Uh,
1: Himiko. Thank you.
0: She was also Himiko, and it's almost similar to Chiaki, except slightly lazy. <laughs> lazy sounding. Um, not, not saying Christine was lazy, just the character itself. You get the idea. Um, and. I really enjoy the performance a lot from Christine, uh, <laughs> but the fact that I relate to Iris way too much, good lord. Yeah, both both performances are really good, but I, out of the two, I per- I really enjoyed Jeremy's a lot more.
3: I'd like to think I also related to Iris a lot more than, um, than some of their characters, just from the, the mentality of, um, trying to be the best at something and unfortunately sometimes just being mediocre Mm. at it like in my own career i I, i'm not the best at what i do and i'd like to get better but you know sometimes you just have to admit that you might not be the best at some things that your skills may lie somewhere else and i kind of feel like iris is is still learning like what she brings to the table in terms of being an auto memory doll um let's talk about acting a little bit here because um I really like Jeremy Lee's, uh, her tomboyish iris. Um, I like the fact that, um, she's got this, um, this... She's, like, speaking in the back of the throat, almost. Like, it, it's the... It's a heavier dialect than any of the other characters. It, like, she's very emphatic on all of the syllables, and she's got the most vibrant personality of all the characters in the cast. And just the way that she speaks also is very different. Like, I think at one point she says the word, sorry but it's almost like the O has become a U and it's like Suri. And I, I, I like that. Like I like picking up dialect differences between characters, even in uh, like it's trying to emulate that country bumpkin attitude, but still bring it into the big city setting. You know, she's trying to be a cosmopolitan girl, but um, and her entire episode where she has to go back to her hometown uh, really gives Jeremy a big chance to just have fun. Fun. Like I, I can think of that as like that was a recording day or a week or however long it took to record. That was just fun because she gets to be bratty, she gets to be like, pretends to say like, Yep, I'm the greatest I'm the most popular writer in town. I've actually I've gotten hundreds of clients and yep, they keep asking for my services, and then just being shot down when Violet like absolutely destroys that that confidence, and then Yeah, that that was she's uh, she was a fun character. And I, I like that. Uh, she fulfills our uh, our short-haired tomboy archetype that we need in every show. We, like she's our Hajime from New Game. She, we need one of those in every show. Now, as for uh, Christine, um, Erica is a little more uh, subtle in her thinking because uh, she's one of the few characters where we hear mo- we hear just as much of her externally as we do internally. There's a whole lot of lines where Christine where Christine has to. Um, speak erica's lines that she's saying out loud but then have a different speaking pattern or a different way of talking when she's just talking to herself so when she's talking out loud she's got more of a monotone um it's not um you know like it's it's shy and it's soft spoken but uh, you know it's just it's kind of quiet but then you hear her inside and then she's like she's much more expressive and you hear a lot more of her doubts about violet's writing styles or about her um the level of confidence that she wished she had and that like all of her thoughts that she can't quite say out loud. And I like that Christine was able to exemplify both halves of that personality. That's kind of a hard thing to do to have the exact same character speak in two different ways. That'd be like, you know, if you had a character who had a split personality and you had to portray both halves of that personality. Uh, Yeah. It would have been nice if uh, we had more development of her later on in the series, but she's an essential role in episode two when violet is being introduced into the company of the auto memories dolls and she kind of acts as the the voice of reason who has to say okay that weirdo over there with the silver hands and the weird brooch is just terrible at her job she is causing people to be upset because she is writing what they're saying but not what they're feeling and that is not what we're supposed to do at our jobs so props on christine for portraying that essential role in this entire like uh in that episode because like i said earlier all of these episodes serve to world build the entire country that we're in and so uh their role was to kind of introduce us to what auto memories dolls really are because we don't get any of that in episode one it's only in episode two where we find out what it is why it's important and why violet would even want to be one
1: mm-hmm. all right so as for my thoughts uh First, I'll talk about, uh, as Iris, because I really like, uh, to hear Chermi play very spunky, fun, like, speak-their-mind kind of characters, and I really enjoy her doing a lot of that. She's very spunky, interesting, she'll talk shit, and she tries to act like she is the hottest, best at this job, but she's actually really kind of bad at it, and that's something that bugs her a lot, so when she does actually think she's got a real, she's got a real chance with this person, uh, that's just her family being like, hey, you want to get married? She's genuinely hurt and upset and, like, the emotional embarrassment of, like, running into an old crush of hers that did not reciprocate her feelings and, like, the letter she has to make to her family. She's another character that's really great to blend with Violet because she is loud, aggressive, emotional, and very contradicting. And Violet is just very straight-laced and very blunt. And it's a really good combination seeing those two interact in that episode. But I really like her as this spunky, spitfire, braggart character. But she's also kind of like sweet and insecure. And Jeremy just does a great job selling her. Now Erica's really interesting because I really like Christine Cabanos and I'm usually used to her being much more like high-pitched, hyperactic, or a lot like quieter, more tired sounding characters. This is like a mix of a quieter, but not really tired, almost like she is much more reserved and almost a little bit like uncomfortable at times. She's a little more colder and stoic than I think I'm used to. Christine Cabanos but it's a role that I wish I heard a little more era about her because it's really interesting I totally bought that voice naturally and I almost wish there was a little more of Erica to figure out because I think she does peak early and then we never really do much with her again it's like I I I was cool with her I liked her design I liked her voice and she could have been interesting I want to see more of her but Sadly, we did not, but I do still think Christine Cabenos, uh did a pretty dang good job as Erica too. Now, uh, I think uh, we're ready to move on to our next batch of people at the postal company. Woo! Uh, we are getting to Benedict and Catalea. Benedict is, I believe he is a delivery man, I want to say. Yes. Uh, and Catalea is more or less the basically the most popular doll at the company. She's refined, she's emotional, everybody comes to her for all the stuff and she is definitely a very attractive woman, which probably helps her get at some new clients too.
3: I actually think they've be- going to say that, but I'm glad you said
0: that. I think was, <laughs> oh, come on. she she says herself I think at the end of the show she that she's a dancer. She used to be, to be a a dancer. Da-
1: she used to be a dancer, so I think they were implying that ma- that means she herself was already a very social oh, person mm-hmm. and probably met a lot of people that way. Yeah. And like I said, she, she's, she is somebody who I feel when people assume of what a doll is, they would think somebody like her. And that works at the very least for her getting new jobs. Um, playing uh, Benedict Blue is Ben Pronsky. And playing Catalea Baudelaire—that's how you say your yes. name—is Reba Reba Burr. Uh, ben Protsky has played such characters as Saber of Black Siegfried in Fate Apocrypha, Mu Alexis from Magi Kingdom of Magic, Takashi Kamiyama from Kramati High School, Sukasa from your name, and Hanage from Super Milkchon. That was an interesting one. Uh, <laughs> Ba-
3: do you have to re- Really? <laughs> yes, I do. Okay. I, know. I know
1: nothing about Super Milk-Chan. I figured that'd be more interesting for you guys than me, and you proved me right. Uh, Rayma Ray- Ray- Burr has played such characters as Ginshu from Children of the Whales, Jennifer Record from ID Zero, Fuku from Blame, Piprika from Magi Adventure Sinbad, and Liu Shu Shen Mei from Kurumukum. Now, Aman... Uh, what do you think? Uh, I enjoy these two. Um, Benedict's
2: fun. He's uh, he's 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 kind of a brash idiot, and uh, I think Ben plays that very well. He uh, he's 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 very he 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 nails a lot of the character's liveliness very well, um, but also why uh, he kind of keeps getting into conflicts with his boss because he keeps doing dumb things like spraining his ankle. For wearing those dumb boots all the time,
0: I didn't understand. I kept forgetting that his boots were like heels. I'm like, why is he wearing those?
1: <laughs> okay, I did not <laughs> notice that until the last episode where he does that really dramatic jump. Yes, off the train. And I'm like, is he wearing heels? time. <laughs> he's wearing heels, he's the, wearing wearing heels? heels the whole the time.
0: He was wearing the heels
1: the whole show.
0: Yep. I. What was that about? That was
2: interesting. I, I, my, my, my understanding is that did used to be a thing in men's fashion. It's not, oh, it's right. not anymore. It hasn't been for, like, a while. Yeah, but, yeah, like, yeah. you know. That was it, the whole
1: thing with butchers, wasn't it? Yeah.
2: You, know, it, it, you, find like, you find, like, illustrations of, like, you know, late Victorian dandies. They wear stuff like that all the time. Like, it's
1: very. And how pink was, like, very much a masculine color. Exactly. So like, it, in the
2: it's, old days. It, it, it makes sense in this sort of weird, like. Steam punk post-World area. War One Sort of setting But like yeah it does I just like the fact that like he, he still Like he wears these things all the time And he still sprains his fucking ankle It's
0: hilarious
2: I, I find that I find that absolutely hysterical um, You know Ben's a lot of fun playing this character um, He especially like You know like especially like early on I think he adds a lot of color Especially when he's like uh, You know showing trying to show violet, the ropes and you know, is like, hey, you're pretty good at this, weird lady. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I trust you to. I'm gonna go off my motorcycle now. I trust you to finish the job. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, he's just he's just he's just a fun character, and I like the way he bounces off a lot of the other actors uh, in this show. He's very entertaining to watch. Uh, and I-, I love the same thing with um, uh, Re- Reba playing uh, Cat- Catalea. Yes. How did you say it? Catalea. Catalea. Uh, playing Catalea, who I think falls falls very much in the same category, like, you know, she's also very, like, she's very, you know, dignified and refined, but I also like that she, she takes her job very seriously. Um, and also clearly has a lot of issues with how Claudia is running things occasionally. Um, and I thought Reba kind of, sort of, I thought she brought that out very well as somebody who, like, has a lot of class about her, uh, but she's not just sort of this, you know, passive pretty lady she's like you know Claudia this might be a really stupid idea you've come w- come up with you might want to <laughs> consider doing anything up not this boneheaded have you tried that
0: it's like have you tried um, this <laughs> have,
2: you tr- have you tried not being a complete moron uh which I liked a lot I thought I thought that I thought she she brought out that edge of the character very well of somebody who like you know she she's popular but she's also like smart and competent um yeah, no, I, I I enjoy these characters. I, I feel like they didn't show up enough, which I know isn't really true. I just I would have enjoyed seeing them a little more often. They're both,
3: they both like, they're kind of like the they're kind of the bookend characters, and the fact that we see them at the beginning of most of the episodes before we go off on our like adventure of the day. Kind sort of, of yeah, scenario. yeah, exactly.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so they're was fun with their on screen. I just I, I I almost wish like they had also gotten their own like focus episodes, like I know some of the other side characters did. Uh, those would have been interesting, I think. Um, yeah, I enjoyed both these
0: performances a lot. Okay. Um, both of these actors I don't know much about. I think the last time I heard Ben Pronsky was actually in your name, if I remember right. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder... He was, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder when it comes to dubs that involve LA voice actors, my repertoire and knowledge of LA voice actors is very, very tiny. Uh, compared to someone like, oh, I don't know, Jet? (laughs) Like, he's better on that side than me. Um, but... And then Reba, I've never heard of this woman in my life. Um, so, Ben Pronsky is a very interesting choice here as Benedict, because, um... And I feel like this is gonna be a convers- I feel like this is the conversation that'll happen. So... Benedict's character design is very interesting and the voice that Ben gives for him is very interesting cuz um it's not what do you mean by
3: interesting So
0: so the the character design of Benedict looks younger than what it sound what it, what Ben's makes it sound like basically but I can app- yeah. I can appreciate that decision because from what I can gather, Ben is not a little boy. Ben is a man. And it is mentioned that he actually has known Claudia for some time. I believe they were they're supposed to be partners, supposed to be either that, that or there's a that's a whole teasing thing that happens early on. Um but because It seems to me in my head that Benedict is supposed to be a man, not a boy. I actually appreciate that Ben went with a more, not necessarily gruff, but a more bass baritone kind of tone to Benedict's character rather than going with something more of a tenor sound, which Claudia Claudia actually has more of that sound, him and Gilbert, uh, compared to Ben as Benedict, and I can really appreciate that because it adds a bit more of diversity uh, and more of a different-sounding voice and dynamic to the show, so I appreciate that a lot. Um, the only downside is I wish Benedict showed up a little bit more than he did. Uh, as for Reba, I really do enjoy Reba as Callie, actually. actually. Uh, she has a mix of maturity, some sass, and she kind of has a little bit of a sex appeal to her, too.
2: No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, And
0: not just because you see massive cleavage, boys and girls. Um, I think a joke was made at Claudia's expense about the two of them sleeping together at one point. And it was made me giggle. Uh, but I, as someone who was, I've never heard of before until I watched this show, I really enjoy Reba's performance. Uh, and it was a lot of f- fun with... M- with this maturity and sassiness to her, but you can also tell that uh, Ketaleia really takes her job seriously. Uh, and she does what she can to make sure the feelings that her clients uh, have are displayed properly. Uh, and I really appreciate that performance and it makes me want to hear Reba and more things i hope we fix that i like so at the end of the day i like both these performances i like the direction that they went with them um i just wished they most mostly benedict because i think catalaya shows up a bit more than benedict did uh in all honesty but um i want to hear i want to hear them more more things
3: i like what you said lilac about the fact that ben looks younger than he actually sounds um I, this, this is probably the one where I chalk that up to Kyo Annie's limitations in character designs because KyoAni has three modes. You have child, you have hot teenager, and you have grandma. Those are the three modes that you've got in Kyo Annie's show. So, you can't really have, um, I'm a 30-year-old man. No, you've got, I'm 30, but I look like I'm 15. But I don't. Ben's performance on this is uh, fits with the personality just fine, even if it doesn't quite look like what the character design is. That's just a flaw of the design. Um, ben gives him uh, Benedict this like kind of a growl, at least compared to Claudia. Like I'm comparing him more directly to Claudia because um, the two of them are in the same workspace with each other, and also Ben seems to uh, have this vernacular pattern to speaking even though he has formal language, which is very interesting. Like, he works in a profession where you have to speak professionally to people and you have to get stuff done, but he still speaks like he's like a dock worker or a blue collar mm-hmm. worker, um, which is really interesting. Um, again, it kind of fleshes out the variety of tasks in the city following the war. Um, we don't we, we don't have like a year to really compare this to but it really does feel like this was a show or a light novel that was written by a Victorian England fanboy hmm. as opposed to like someone who had like accurately studied it which is fine it's fine you know just cut out all the boring things about like class and social structure and just focus on the cool things like steampunk automobiles and flying trains and all that fun stuff so um, now as for Reba's performance um, I get the feeling, just from listening to Reba's performance, that she's using her happiness to mask something much deeper, much more somber. She seems to have a lot more layers to her than she lets on. and It's like she's putting on an act for her clients and for her co-workers by having this professional attitude that gets the job done and makes everyone else uh, want to do better in their own job. But she seems like she's masking something in her Uh, there may be more information in the background of the light novels I don't know but whatever it is it gives off the sense that she's much more she's much deeper than just a pretty face who's really good at writing letters although to to the credit of writing those letters she really does uh kind of exemplify why an auto memory doll is so important in this time period like to us in the modern era who do all of our own writing to individuals we may think oh, why don't you just write your own letter to someone or why don't these people in the show just pick up a goddamn typewriter and type it out themselves you can't do that this is a show that understands that just because you think something doesn't mean you can convey that into words once you take a thought and make it physical by putting it into words you lose some of the impact if you're not tuned into it you don't even have to use flowery language or heavy prose you don't have to confuse vocabulary with depth and that's what I think Reba gets about Catalea's perform about her personality there is importance in the value of words that you, you need someone who's good at that to do and if you're not good at that then you'd need to find another job so and as far as these yeah these both were good performances two good characters that I think filled their niche in the show just right. Not oversaturated, but important supporting lead characters.
1: I think Catalea is very fun and interesting. I think she's like the way Reba portrays her. She's got this sultriness, yet uh, this confidence, this stride in her step and this level of energy and intrigue, like when she's dealing with customers. But this sense of sincerity and emotion when it comes to Violet and the other girls and their situations. And I find that really interesting. Ben Pronsky is interesting to me as uh, Benedict. Mainly because I think I mentioned earlier in the night that I felt like there was a character or there was a role where it seemed like The face and the voice were at odds with each other. This was the one that did it for me. Just because... Something about Benedict. He looks like a much younger paper delivery boy. Or like somebody who's a little younger. Like he might be about the same age as Claudia. But he looks like a baby face. Or he looks like a younger character to me. And something about his gruffer... Tougher, like a little more like older sounding voice felt very distracting to me. I think he does a good job with what the character does, and I think he's good at sounding like a little immature, but he himself does sound gruff and sincere and nice. But it just seemed like it was a little too gruff or gruffer than I was expecting with the particular aesthetic of this character, and that was just distracting.
3: God damn you, QA! Now, now here, now here's a challenge for you. Okay, so Aman, I know that you didn't see any of the um, key adaptation shows mm-hmm. that Kyoto Animation made back in the day. Lilac and uh, Andrew, did you guys see any of those? Like Air, Clan. I've seen Clan and I love Clan. I Ed. have
0: not actually. Nope. They uh, Air at least has been on my list for forever, and I actually haven't seen. I haven't seen any of them. My my experience with Kyoto is like Haruhi, uh, Beyond the Boundary, Free a good amount of the more recent stuff but I'm not I, yeah. I, I haven't really ever seen like the key trinity known as air cat on and clay yeah.
3: <laughs> well okay fine but at the very least have you you've seen the character designs from those shows absolutely before? yes okay so I'm just trying to imagine like yes the character design for Benedict is a little off Let's let but let's take the character design from like early key, Kyoto animation stuff and put that in this show, and there's a contrast yes. for you, for sure,
1: oh, for boy. sure. Uh, all right, so, uh, do you think we should move on? Yes. Yeah. All right.
3: I, I think we should march into the next. Damn segment. it, Noah! I
1: also think we should march into the next segment with a pair.
3: I will of, be your for the don't night. a <laughs> pair of
1: brothers. Uh, this is, uh... Dietreve and Gilbert. Both of the Bougainvillea family. I, I got the pronunciation for that. And That
3: doesn't sound made up at all. Uh,
1: Dietfried is a older, rougher guy who I think has a very rough time with Violet. And Gilbert is a central, important, moving figure in Violet Evergarden's life. It's something... Like he is somebody that helped her a lot when everybody else had given up on her, and he unfortunately is killed in the line of battle. Playing the two characters, uh, Keith Silverstein plays Dietreve? Dietre Dietfried, I think it is Dietfried. Dietfried, thank you. And Tony Azulino plays Gilbert. Uh, Keith Silverstein you've heard play such characters as Kochi Tanaka from Ajin, Kukun from Devilman Crybaby, Caster of Red Shakespeare from Fate Apocrypha, Greyman from ID-0, and Imusa from Kuromukuro. Tony Azalino has played such characters as Maso from Children of the Whales, Cyborg007 from Cyborg009 vs Devilman, Sanpei Tyra from Gans-O, Romanoff from ID0 and Male Villager A from Blame. I figured that'd be fun, just to keep them the <laughs> Just asleep. throw
0: that in there. Why not?
3: I'm so glad that you keep mentioning Cyborg 009 because it reminds me that we're finally getting a DVD release of the 2000 series. You know, once they finally. <sighs> once once, once, once <laughs> Justin
2: fixes, uh, finishes fixing every problem wrong with that thing. <laughs>
3: Whoops. <laughs> one day. One day. Uh, would you like if you're listening to this Justin, thank you so much. We appreciate We will buy ten copies of that just to make up for the oh hard Lord. work.
2: And Andrew, would you like me to start?
1: I <laughs> would I would like you to start.
2: Uh so I, I like I, I enjoyed both of these performances quite a bit. Um uh I'm gonna I'm gonna start with Dietfried because that's not a name. <laughs> I've been sitting. I've been sitting here for like two minutes trying to figure out what German name they were aiming for and messed up, and I'm stumped.
0: <laughs> that's why we <laughs> were like, like, wait, why is no one talking? Oh, I'm figuring this like, shit out. It feels like it's
2: just it's, it's it's like there was there was a character that exists in the European language that's not in Japanese. That no, change no, it. I don't know. No, no, I, don't I don't
0: know.
3: know. Anyways, it's probably not. It, it's not son. It's not Saga of Tanya the Evil levels bad, but it's getting
0: there. <laughs> this is Anyways. as close as we're gonna get.
3: Um,
2: however, I, uh, while his name is silly, Keith Silverstein's performance is not. I liked him a lot in this role. Um, you liked him? I liked the performance. A Deep Freed's an asshole. <laughs> okay, they're good. Go like, on. I mean, for great, one of, one of the things establish- one of the things we find out about him is like, hey, bro, I found a child. You want Yes. Her? yes.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awful. But he's Just not a, he's not a, Deep a he's,
2: piece of he, shit. He, he, he is an interesting character, and it's a good performance. I don't like him personally. He's kind of terrible. Okay.
0: he's a he's a piece of shit.
2: But th- this would this would this would this this is true for other characters. Keith Silverstein has also played, so that's appropriate. Um, no, I, I I thought it was a very good performance. I thought like particularly in that scene, I think he nails the essential like sliminess of that whole thing of just how like gross this is and how he just he doesn't really seem to acknowledge how weird it is that he's like he this he's, he has this child and he's just like hey you, you want her I got <laughs> so your gift
3: not a human, she's a, <laughs>
2: he's happy a weapon birthday. And, and a lot and a lot and a, I think a lot of the strength of his reforms comes from that ongoing conflict with violet where like he cannot get himself out of this mindset of like you are a weapon you're a weapon that got my brother killed for that matter. Uh, and just his his refusal to view her in any other context, no matter what she does, more or less up until like the very end, right? where he finally starts to like
3: come around a little bit. Um, yeah, I didn't really care for that personally. <laughs> the, the idea that he acts like such an asshole throughout the show, and then suddenly he's supposed to be a nice person nice, and, no, nice in quotation uh-uh. marks yeah even uh, even in quotation marks nice guy y- you don't earn that title man no um
2: and this is one of these things i'm curious about because i know the i know that compared to the novel the anime like the anime does not play things in the same chronological order i'm wondering if we're partially looking at like they wanted to tie up that bow but in the original story that plays out over a much longer period of time but
3: that's speculation it, it wouldn't surprise yes yeah, it wouldn't surprise me because Annie seems to like to do that. Like they like to put a nice little bow on the conclusions of everything, even if it wasn't in the source material. Yeah. Um, but no, I still like this performance a lot. I thought he he just did. He, I thought he did a wonderful
2: job of like sort of highlighting Deep Freed's kind of like nasty aristoc you know sort of aristocratic nobleness, um, but also just like how bitter he is now because it's like, well, my brother's dead. And he got killed protecting this lady that I gave him. So I'm not happy about that. Uh, And I I thought Keith just did a wonderful job of bringing all that that stuff out. Uh, Like I didn't didn't like him being on screen, but I thought Keith did a good job of presenting the character the way he needed to be. Mm -hmm. Um, In contrast, I like Gilbert a lot more because he's not a raging asshole for the entire 13 episodes. That does help, that does help for sure. (laughs) It's like, oh, you just, oh, you're you're an empathetic, you're an empathetic person. Oh, you're a nice man. We
3: like empathetic. We like
2: people. we like you, and sadly, you had to get you had to get exploded.
3: <laughs> Whoops.
2: Sorry. We're like, what episode what does what that one in Is that like we where we see that in full? Is that like uh, what eleven
3: episode? I want to say it's. I actually want to say it's nine. I, it say
2: it's
0: nine.
3: Right. Yeah, and nine sounds right. Awesome. That's a that's that's I mean, a rough scene. There's an entire flashback episode.
0: Yeah, because um, because Because yeah, 11, eleven is where we see soldier Johnny Young yep. Bosch kick. That's the right. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it, it, yeah. it is
2: nine then. Anyways, um, now that I, now that I've derailed the the episode again, <laughs> again, <laughs> like the train, again, like the train, like the just train. like
3: the train in episode 13! Stop it! Hey, can't do any.
2: Um, Stop it. No, I I like Tony a lot. I thought that like especially in contrast to. How um, Keith plays Dietrich, uh, Deepfried. I thought he. he you, you bought why Violet. Why he ended up meaning so much to Violet, he, even outside of just kind of like the basic thing of like he's basically the only person who's been nice to her in her entire life. You, you understood. You, I thought you did just a wonderful job of showing like why he's doing this and why he became so important to Violet and just having this uh, feeling like a real person. And not kind of like sort of a saintly figure who's now dead that Violet thinks fondly back of. Like, he feels like an actual human. Uh, you know, You know, had his own flaws and so on. But clearly, like, cared about this person and wanted them to do better than they've been able to do. Uh, and then you just get that whole bit at the end where, like, Violet's trying to drag him off after her arms have fallen off. And it's like, go live. I love you go and then your um, heart just
3: what smells. does that mean
0: your heart just i know smells.
3: it's sad
0: <sighs>
3: it's a rough show it is
0: more ways than one jesus oh yeah lord
2: yeah lord. that was that was that was a hard segment to watch um but yeah no i like i liked both of these performances a lot for very different reasons um
0: yeah <laughs> let's see how well. am i gonna start this off um Keith Silverstein's an asshole <laughs> not Keith as a human. No, about be- right. Not hey, Keith hey, as a hey, human hey, being. Hey. He's a sweet human being in real life, but hashtag not all Keith Silverstein. <laughs> no, it's um, D- uh, wow, Dietfried, Uh, he's the asshole in this scenario. Um, and it's very interesting because I actually don't associate Keith Silverstein playing asshole characters. I really don't. And you can't count Johan because Johan's not technically an asshole.
2: <laughs> that's true.
0: He's technically not an he's asshole. Talking about from Monster?
2: He's, he's not an. He's evil, but he's a very, like, polite, refined yes, evil.
0: That's the exact reason why he's not what an asshole. He's the worst kind. Um, but it's very interesting uh, to see because it's one of those things where I don't often see him as this piece of shit character cuz Dietfried is a piece of shit. <laughs> like wi- like I don't even want to know where he found Violet. I don't know what he did with Violet before giving her mm. to Gilbert.
4: Like mm. I can imagine
0: so many things happening and unfortunately none of them good. Mm. But um how
3: luckily this is not a graphic kind Thank of show. God. Hey,
1: it's like TV-14, it's not
3: MA edge. No no, actually it, it is a graphic show. In the sense that there's a lot of blood.
0: Yeah, but it's also not saw levels of gore. See, if it got to that point, I would have quit a long time ago. Anyway. um But I do enjoy how Keith portrayed this character as... He, as both a militant person, but also... Someone who... Aside from sh- showing us he's a piece of shit, specifically with... um the flashbacks in the story you can see his anger and resentment really shine through and how he takes it out on Violet because uh, uh, like seeing her actually trying to move on and be happy despite his brother being killed in the process and um, still treating her as this tool like you're only a tool like and you kill a bunch of people like why 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 you, you shouldn't be doing this you're a piece of garbage why why and how he acts towards violet was i i enjoyed it a lot and it was it wasn't extremely powerful and i only say that because of again i had personal like feelings and connections with um other stories and characters but it still had an impact on the story and it helped progress not only himself and the acceptance of his brother's death and how she, violet's trying to move on but it also progresses violet's character herself as well as this last piece that's still kind of tying her to the to who she was before mm. you know what i mean All and right. speaking as that last of that last piece gilbert so same thing with Reba. I've never heard of Tony before. This is a new name and voice for me. And I, I actually really like it. He has this strong military per, like precision. But it's also... Or, or presence, I should say. A strong military presence. Because this family... This family, from my understanding, comes off as like a rich, high-in-society kind of family. Um, which... Keith has to show with D3 as well. But on Gilbert's end, Tony has to have a moral compass to him. And he has his own set of ethics and morals that he follows. Um, and which, is, which obviously you see when he interacts with Violet and takes her in. And I think he has s- such compassion towards Violet in raising her to be a human being and just to be a girl. Not just as this tool that can be cast aside, but when she's no longer useful. And um, episodes 8 and 9, when it's the story of how she was raised by Gilbert, is definitely the strongest of his performance. Because before that, we really only had flashbacks. Um, But then we get the full story here, and I really think that's the height of his performance. Because that's where we get the true story. Or at least most of it, because we still get a little bit of the story left at the end um, with their interaction just before the final battle where Gilbert uh, ends up missing in action. Um, But same thing with Reba, I really want to see Tony in a lot more things. Um, He has a nice, for me, he has a nice tenor sounding voice. It makes Gilbert as a character rather mature and innocent in his own way. Uh, compared to Keith's more like mature, not not pride, not prideful, um, noble sounding character. That's probably the correct way to put it. Um, so it's an interesting dynamic and balance between the two of them. Uh, so yeah, I like both of these performances a lot, and I cannot wait to hear Tony and more things. And of course, it's always a pleasure to hear Keith Silverstein and things. So,
1: mm. All right. Thank you. Noah, uh, mm. I'm mm. sure you have thoughts.
3: Um, only uh, in the sense that, uh, these two characters seem like they are uh, the opposite of each other. Mm. Like they uh, they both went into the yes. military, and they came out of it as completely different kinds of people. Um, Keith, it sounds like he's having a lot of fun, and I'm glad for that because um, he's got a uh, he's got a bit of a rasp to his voice uh, a little bit of it that um, kind of helps accent his nastiness, Mm -hmm. which is, uh, it's a nice little quirk to have, you know, you can have someone who talks smooth and elegant, but you know that they're a bastard. And then you can just have a guy who's, who just sounds like he's a bastard, which is totally what deep read is. Um, But I do like the fact that um, uh, he can uh, like Keith understands the, uh, the range a little bit. Um, Like there's moments to be, Uh, shouting and over the top in when Dietfried is yelling at Violet about her um, how she's not a human and that he blames her for a whole lot of things and he seems to be projecting a whole lot onto her like all the problems that he has with life he's like focusing them all in on this one individual you know he can't be mad at anyone else he can't take out his frustration about the loss of his brother or what he's gone through in the war so he's just gonna channel it on this one person um, so, yeah, like, Keith's having a lot of fun, it sounds like, in all this. And I don't like him anymore. I, I don't like um, Dietfried anymore later on when we find out his tragic backstory. Like, no, it doesn't justify him at all. But to give Keith credit, he doesn't go so over the top that it sounds like a cartoonish um, uh, evil Saturday morning cartoon mm. villain. But it's the kind that you feel like he's been shaped by the war, which, again, heavily contrast Gilbert pretty heavily and this is as in depth as we get to what the effects of the whole war did to everyone cuz we see a lot of fighting in the show we see a lot of blood and death and people mourning for the loss of their loved ones but uh he's probably the best indication we have about what it actually does to people who didn't cope who aren't coping with it very well cuz he's still kind of in the mode of I'm still in the military and probably have a really hard time adjusting to civilian life again. So yeah, um, I, I don't really know Keith all that well, actually. Like I haven't seen any of the shows you listed that he's been in before, but um, he's definitely, he definitely brings a lot of energy in and I can see why people are excited when he's in a, for a role because he, he's definitely fun to listen to. Now I, um, okay, An- Andrew, you said earlier that there was one character that you thought, was, um, had a, the most contrast between the character design and the voice. And that was with Benedict. Yes. For me, Tony's Gilbert is the most contrasting between the voice and the character design because I huh. don't think huh. that Tony was the best pick for this character. Really? Interesting. Now, this, this is not because of the, um, not because of acting abilities. This is totally because of his voice. Okay, Gilbert is um, a seasoned war veteran who is. We don't quite get an, an idea about how old he is, but we can assume he's somewhere between twenty-five and thirty-five, or like he—he's not old yet, and yet, but but he's old enough that he should be in a—he should have an adult-sounding voice. And Tony gives him this young, clear, and kind of more normal-sounding voice. That doesn't quite give off the sense that he's been in the military at all. He sounds just a little too normal to what I expected out of that kind of a character. I'm not saying that they should have gone like full Jameson Price or um, Patrick Seitz, low voice Mm -hmm. kind of character. But I did want someone who had, it just sounded like they had more of an age to their voice. But to give credit to Tony, his acting is is really good when he gets uh, to kind of act as a mentor to Violet. Uh, not just in episode one, but in also the multiple flashback episodes. And especially when he's telling her to to leave him because he's, you know, he's badly injured and she, you know, she, she should get away and save herself. That uh, sensation of how morbid his outlook is on his chances of getting out alive is pretty spot on. And that was the scene, that was the episode that uh, Keoani definitely got to show off their, um, their panache for war because they seem to... Uh, be known for romance and high school antics all the time. And and here it's like, nah, let's just throw all that out the window. We're going back to our Full Metal Panic days. We're going full war on here. Hmm. Which, by the way, if you haven't seen any of Full Metal Panic, you should go do that. Mm -hmm.
0: I need to fix that. I've heard good
1: things. I've heard good things,
0: for sure. I mean,
3: mean, Gonzo did the first series, but Annie swiftly did, um, they did Fumofu, which is the the happy happy comedy. Yeah, and then they also did Second Rate, I think, right? But they did second raid, and that's much more in the wartime setting. It didn't get quite as graphic as Violet Evergarden, but you can tell there was a, a real panache for capturing the sensation of being in a military scrimmage. I,
0: I, if you don't mind, I kind of like want to interject on something. You described Tony's voice for Gilbert as normal, right? And... I f- I kind of have to disagree that it's too normal because I feel like that's what the character needs. Because Violet needs some sort of normalcy instead of being this child soldier. Cuz remember Gilbert is this moral compass and he wants her to live as herself not mm-hmm. just for the sake of like taking orders and stuff. So true. I f- I f- I no. feel like how Tony portrays it, even though it sounds normal, as you say, I feel like that's the kind of tone it needs, to be honest, like trying to get Violet to live for herself.
3: I would agree with that if it wasn't for the fact that there's one other character who we're about to talk about who kind of fills that vocal niche already. (gasps) So I feel like (sighs) Gilbert's uh, inclusion in there is kind of maybe not as dynamic as it should be. In contrast... To aforementioned other characters okay okay
1: that. hmm all right so
3: it, it's, a, it's a bit of a point of a contention no i, I get sure. it
1: i i can definitely see what you're saying about tony's voice but i definitely think it is gruff enough and interesting that i think it does fill out the character and when he does get the more emotional moments and the dying moment he really does sell himself a lot to me about how good he is with doing the Gilbert part even though if it did take me a little bit to adapt and adjust for sure keith silverstein as Deep free for sure it's it's a keith silverstein is a very interesting charismatic character in general but this is like a much more like angry villain who it's very much pretty much revealed just what what his deal is is that he hates almost feels like she died for him or he died protecting her and he feels like anger towards her is anger towards failing to save his brother Mm -hmm. and it's a really interesting moment for sure and one that i think really reflects on like who he is and what his deal is for sure and
3: he and his ponytail need therapy (laughs) (laughs) oh boy do they so much therapy
1: that being said i Gilbert, I could definitely see about the contrast with voice and appearance, though I like I said, it didn't bother me as much, though it did take me a little bit to get used to. It sounded a little odd or off at times. That said, i I really do think like the actual moments that Gilbert needed to show off what he was made mm-hmm. of, Tony was able to do it justice for sure. And with that, um, I think it's time to move on to our final section of characters. One is an important figure that helps take in our main character herself, and the other is our title character herself, Miss Violet Evergarden, as well as Claudia Hodgins. Uh, Playing the part of Claudia Hodgins is Kyle McCarthy. I'm
0: sorry, I have to call bullshit right there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What? We'll get more into that later. But, yes, Kyle McCarley.
0: Really, th- that's the part
3: you want to call bullshit. There's
0: a reason for it, and I'll, t- I'll explain.
1: And Violet Evergarden is played by Har- Erica Harlicker.
3: You K- got it! Yay! Yeah,
1: I know. I, I, I've i corrected that mistake. Uh, it
3: took 130 episodes, but we finally learned <laughs> how to pronounce your last you, name right.
1: You stop it. Okay. <clears> okay. <throat> Kyle McCarley has played such characters as Ikuya Ogura from Ajin, Cyborg009 in Cyborg009 Call of Justice, Kane Arisugawa from ID0, Shinji Mato from Fate Extra, Last Encore, and Ryo How the Hell Have You Been Asakura from Devilman <laughs> Crybaby.
3: <laughs> I still have to watch that. Now, so. Erica
1: Harleker has played such characters as Kurapika from Hunter Hunter 2011, Claudia Enfield from Asterisk War, Elizabeth Lioness from The Seven Deadly Sins, Ruler aka jean de Arc from Fate Apocrypha, and Yumiko Jabami from Kakegurui. The whole big interesting list for both of these characters. Amon. What do you think?
2: I like these two performances for very different reasons. Um, starting with Kyle as Claudia. That is not a man's name.
0: <laughs> that is not a man's name.
2: <laughs> I, I, I I have a tendency when I watch these if they're not a if they're not like the lead character I have a tendency to not really remember whose people's names are. I tend to just sort of remember like character designs. So when you posted the cast list, I'm like, who the fuck's Claudia? <laughs> Wait, his name's Claudia. Really? Surprise. <laughs> So that was fun. Yeah,
1: it's an interesting name for sure. I
2: totally Indeed. You. Um, but I like I like Kyle playing this role. I thought I I, I found Cla- I found plenty interesting in the sense that he has t- he's taken on this responsibility of you know uh, he wants to you know do a solid by uh, you know a little buddy of his and help out Violet. Which he, could, you know, he continues to do, even though he seems a little exasperated by the whole experience. Possibly just because he's tired. He always, he always looks so exhausted. <laughs> See, this is this is how you make the uh, Kiyuani hot teenager characters look older. Just give them bags under their eyes, and they That's, look like they yeah, don't they're... sleep ever. <laughs> yeah, I, I I liked Kyle's performance as far as. He he has a lot of that same thing Gilbert has, where he clearly, he clearly like he has empathy and sympathy for Violet. He wants to help her out, but he's not quite the same level of like. You know, there's still a level of like, what is with you? You are so weird. I do not know what to do in this scenario. Yeah, I'm a little lost. Um, but I, I like he brought out that sense of like he's kind of frustrated by Violet and having to like contend with Violet's eccentricities, but also like you 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 totally buy that like oh there's a reason he's continuing to do this why he doesn't just throw her out like he yeah. he he has that basic sympathy underlying his performance that I think is important to his character just you know just for that reason of, like why don't you get rid of her if she's such a pain um and I appreciate that I feel like that's that's an aspect of, like I do think that's a very important aspect of the character um you know otherwise it's just like well he could just be a mean boss but he's not uh, <laughs> it, was, it was just it was it was a, it was it was nice It was a nice performance in a very unflashy way, I guess. Like it wasn't like super hammy or anything like that. It was just really well done.
3: Yeah, yeah, and I, like I was saying, I, I feel like that's what was good about him, and that's why I didn't want such a you know an undynamic character to play um, a voice for Gilbert I can, I can see that. Um, I feel like Claudia filled that out. Just he's like perfect. That that's it. That's our guy right there.
2: He's our re- he's our reasonable dude to help help lead us through this story. Um, so I, I like he's a good boss. he's a good he's a good boss. He's trying. Um, so yeah, I I liked his performance quite a bit, and I also liked Erica as Violet, uh, just because I thought Viol- Erica had a really hard job. She has to play a character who is, like, it was explicitly written as being, like, really, she's very she's a very flat affect. She is very emotionally stunted because she has basically not been treated as a person for most of her life. Um, and, and and kind of has to do that thing where she has to, str- like, struggle with what, you know, are, are kind of, in essence, like, basic human emotions as somebody who does not really, you know, she doesn't understand what those are. And, you know, essentially, like, Play as someone who is emotional, but also is like like will experience emotions that she does not even know how to contextualize or like express correctly. While also playing this character who, like a lot of time, is like very flat, very monotone but not boring. Like, there, there is depth to Violet even when she does not have a lot of, like, strong personality in her performance. And I thought Erica did that very well. Like, I I can definitely see someone not really caring for Violet as a character for a lot of those reasons, but I think Erica did a wonderful job bringing out what the character needed to work in the context of the story. Um, yeah, I, I, I think those are very challenging roles in a lot of times, especially when you're voice acting you don't have the advantage of, like, you know, physical movement to work off of. Um, and I thought she did a wonderful job. Like, I was never I was never bored watching Violet do stuff. And I thought Erika Eric just uh, kept that attention so well. Uh, kept my attention so well of just being, having, you know, just enough there to make you want to keep, you know, to help you keep watching, even though she's still keeping, you know, everything very reserved and close to the chest. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot. As a consequence, I think she she gave a very strong performance, which I, I think helped the show overall a lot. Because you know, I mean, if Violet doesn't work, I think the show kind of falls
3: apart. So, mm-hmm. kudos to you, yeah, Erica. I'm watching the show, mm-hmm. did you also get the sense that she might also be a robot throughout the? show? I mean, look, look, look!
2: As as as, as, a, as a as a lover of stories about sad robots, <laughs> I know she's technically a sad sideboard, but she's very much a sad robot. This is very much a sad robot show. This is this that's, is this is yeah. this is very much that like Pluto thing of like what exactly do you know a thing a thing that looks like a person but technically isn't uh, which obviously isn't quite what this is going for but no there there is very much that vibe of like she does feel very robotic uh, and yeah. I think I you know I think and I think having her you know having giving her the mechanical
3: arms I do think has a certain thematic importance to that can as we well. talk about the mechanical arms for just a second like sure. Oh my- God the animation on this It's screen. really cool. oh, so it's good. So good. It's unfair. You know about... so, good. Okay, it's so ridiculous. If you're going to focus on anything like the the sun shining off of the yes. metal of these yes, 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 metal, yes, yes, metal yes. Are, they're they're not like the tin man from the Wizard of Oz. They're like there's individual joints. It's like they're broken up like it's like an exoskeleton. Pretty much yeah.
0: I think that in, that, the, in the 1800s. It sounds like that's what they were going for like an exoskeleton of some sort.
3: It's just it's just it's like and I'm like holy shit. Just, the Alphon brothers have got nothing on this girl. The Alphon oh, brothers? Man, the, you mean the
0: Elric brothers. brothers?
3: The Alphons brothers.
0: <laughs> Alphon's
1: and Alphon's, my
2: favorite.
0: It's been a while since I've seen Alphons.
3: FMA. I'm sorry.
2: You, you you start watching the show and it looks really really nice. And then, she, and then she and then she and then she takes her and then she takes her gloves off or you know her coat off or whatever and it's like oh my god they put so much money in this show. This it is beautiful. So much money.
3: <laughs> it's like, and it's, and like I it's like, can't really, is it CGI? Because from the, from the, from the texture off of it, I feel like it's texture map, but I also feel like it's partially animated. I, like I I Whatever I, it, it is, it's
1: really, 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 really good. Yeah.
3: Stuff. Hand drawn. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, damn, uh, it. damn it.
0: Damn it, Noah.
3: Unintentional <laughs> pun. The podcast. No, All not right. the
0: podcast. That's your own goddamn show. Get out.
3: So, so Steph. Yes.
1: What do you think of the two?
0: So, first of all, this is both relating to Kyle, McCar- Kyle McCarley. First of all, because I'm looking at ANN right now, apparently he's listed to voice John Steinbeck in Bungo Stray Dogs 2, so I'm very excited for that. But here's the thing I call it bullshit that this is Kyle McCarley. This is the reason why. So, the two roles that I know this human being for are. Shigeo Mob Kageyama Mob Psycho and Ryota Watari in Your Lie in April.
2: Mm. Wait, back the Too fuck varied. up. This guy plays Mob?
0: Yes! Yeah! This, this is fucking Mob. And then because Noah will appreciate the Your Lie in A- April reference for Watari. Yeah. So here, that's why I'm calling bullshit. This is the most <laughs> mature sounding character I've I've heard Kyle McCarley's voice.
1: Same. Like, it's it's really, really dynamic and interesting, for
0: sure. so different. Because I didn't think that he was capable of it based on the other roles that I've seen him as before. But he plays it so well. Claudia is a very mature-sounding character. Um, more, again, more so than I've ever heard... Kyle performed before and I very much appreciate that he has this he has this way about him where he's kind of filling in the shoes like filling in and stepping in where Gilbert left off for Violet um, as a supportive role to which when you say that we don't need another one after hearing Claudia if you think of it that way the tone to make sense in my brain. Um... But... Yeah, it's very mature, it's very... The most adult I've ever heard Kyle play. And I can very much appreciate it. It's it's like if... We we took the concept of Monica Rial and her big girl voice... And then all of a sudden we call Kyle McCarley and his big boy voice. <laughs> in a sense. <laughs> and it's it's a lot of fun and I ac- honestly really want to hear him use that voice more often because we're, a lot of us are probably very used to him portraying like a teenager instead of a full grown man, a full grown adult and I, I, I very much appreciate this and I appreciate Claudia as a character with that maturity and yet he has his regrets too because there's a very there's a very specific line that he says to Violet. Very early on, where he says that she's on fire. Or something to that extent. Or she's
1: that she's has burns. Yes. And you will. You don't know it yet, but those burns yes. are going to stick with yes. you. Yes.
0: And it's very it's a very strong statement. Because um, not only does it come back for Violet in the last few episodes of the show, it comes back for Claudia as well because Claudia was also a soldier in the army and he left once the war was done because he wanted to start this business and he wanted to get out of there. Um, But that doesn't mean he doesn't carry his own scars from the war. So I can appreciate what Kyle did with the performance there in not only being that mature guiding hand to Violet. But also showing that he is also affected by what went on with the war. Like the good, the bad, everything. So I appreciate that a lot. Um, as for Erica, as our titular character, Violet. So Erica's Violet is very interesting uh, because I feel like it's one of the situations where one wrong move and Violet would have sounded completely robotic to me. But the best way to describe Erica's performance of Violet is exactly as Anne refers to her as when they first meet, as a doll. She has, Violet has a character has very doll-like qualities, um, and she doesn't really show a lot of emotion because of how she was kind, kind of raised, I only say kind of because I feel like that's more of a thing that happens to her way before Gilbert takes her in. That she's ingrained to have no emotion and to just be this tool of war, in a sense, um, and a lot of that's ingrained in her. But over time, she starts to evolve as a character and learning what these emotions are, learning what these like these certain words mean. For uh, beautiful is a big example there when um, she and Gilbert. See, get the find the um the green brooch for the first time, and the word that the um, merchant describes it as is beautiful, and Violet's like, "What is beautiful? Is that the same thing as pretty?" Like she's, you can tell she has a very curious mindset. She wants to learn about these things and understand them because she's never known these kinds of words or these meanings before or these emotions, so. Erica certainly starts off with these doll-like qualities, but as the show progresses, you start to see, you start to hear and feel more warmth in her voice. Even if it's it's more subtle of a warmth if anything, cuz she still retains those doll-like qualities uh, by the series end, but she has a lot more warmth and comfort to her. Because of the experiences that she's going through. And I think Erica does a phenomenal job portraying all of those aspects and growing Violet as a character with that through line and that emotional turmoil that she has to deal with, uh, with her grief and acceptance of what happened and how she now has to live for herself. So I really enjoyed Erica a lot as Violet. Both these performances mm. were really nice, but Erica's, if anything, Erica's bar none best performance of the show to me.
1: Hmm. So Noah, let's hear your thoughts. I know you're going to have opinions here.
3: Well, I got uh um I, mean, I got five pages here of thoughts here, so I'll try to narrow it down. Please though. do. Um, Please. I my my thesis statement has to be turned into the professor, I and mean, I had to you know. Put, put all those thoughts into words just like violet does
0: that was a terrible segue <laughs> it
3: was
1: that was and a I'm terrible not, segue i'm not
3: even going to use that because i'm, I'm actually not going to talk about violet first i'm going to talk about claudia first um because his um I mean, they call him hodgins throughout the show so i i agree with amon that i didn't realize his name was claudia until i looked at the cast list <laughs> but but kyle is cool Ky- kyle is a cool guy who's got um Um, in all the roles I've heard before, he has, um, that cool best friend voice to him. Uh, so, this was a nice change of pace, because he's, he's gruff, like, he's got a gruff voice, but he's considerate. And he puts, um, uh, he seems to change the way he speaks depending on who he's talking to. Like, he's, uh, he's almost, like, he slurs his words a little bit more when he's around Violet, like, he's, uh, speaking in a more vernacular way. Then we see him when he's talking to customers or he's talking to other employees, and he puts on the not a, not the facade, but the impression of a guy in charge who's um, is not the kind of businessman who's going to um, uh, you know make everyone work late hours and um, whatever the the name of that pig guy was from a Gretzko, you know he's not that kind oh, of taun. boss. He's the yeah he's not Ton. He's uh, you know he's a good guy, and I, I like what he brings to this world, uh, especially with Violet's um, introduction into his workplace, because, I mean, it, it's a complete contrast to uh, what she got from Dietfried before. So, um, but I, I don't really have as much to say, really, in terms of what he does throughout the show, because like we kind of said with some of the other supporting characters from his company, they're they're around a lot, but they don't have as much development. He's just a very necessary, normal person versus all the other weird Characters we we've got astronomers and we've got playwrights and we've got weird robot ladies with metal fingers and Kyle's the night the normal guy in this whole world, so that's that. Now as for Violet, um, there's this joke uh, around uh, it's like a screen cap from the show Arthur, yes the PBS show where one character shouts at Arthur, "Be quiet, Arthur." You're not the main character you're just the name of the show <laughs> mm. that kind of felt that way about violet for a good chunk of the show where it's like you're not the main character you're just the name of the show violet because all the fo- the most interesting parts of the show for me were all about the other characters were about the one-shot characters we meet or the other ones that make up the roster so i i don't think i was really fair on violet for a good chunk of it because I've seen this kind of character before. Um, it reminded me the most of the character of Chi from Chobits, this character, this robotic character who is learning emotions throughout the show. And in that show, um, it was kind of hard to uh, get a good English voice acting that didn't sound robotic. But I can definitely say that Erica does not sound robotic, but she's also not making a joke out of the emotionlessness of her character. And that's a really hard line to walk. She still has all of the the high-quality acting chops that she has shown in a lot of shows before but in this one here she's not allowed to use them for intense emotions or for extreme flowery fanaticism she's got a big job to do and I think what what was trying to be portrayed by her performance is that her simplicity Violet's simplicity in observing the world around her her very blunt observations about the people and the environment is exactly what the people she meets need because she takes what should be obvious to the people around her and just says it in very plain terms like the necessity of um of i can't even think of like a really good example but um all the episodes she just says things in a very straightforward blunt manner to the people around them and those other people were so caught up in their problems and their hang-ups and about I'm an orphan, and my mother ran away, and I just want to live to see Ailey's Comet. And and this interaction with Violet is what they need to, like, get over their baggage, as it were. So it's kind of like they took what would have been a flaw, because Violet's not a deep person. She's a very simple person in that regard. And they make it a character strength, which is very interesting. So her impact on everyone around her is really what they need to get better. Now, what does that mean about erica's actual performance well i it means that i appreciate what erica did in this role i'm just not sure that i quite um i quite appreciate the character as it as she was actually written because she, she's definitely supposed to be empathetic in what she went through in the war and then trying to re and to adjust to civilian life it's just not the part that grabbed me the most you know it was the part that created the core of what moved the story along and what created the individual episodes but it's just not what grabbed me personally probably best exemplified by the fact that the final two episodes are all about the war mm-hmm. it's all about a small fra- a small faction trying to blow the bridge up and stop the wedding that's going to unify the countries together and that part just wasn't as interesting as the individual characters who are trying to um convey their thoughts in writing or cope with dead parents or dying parents or dead children and that's, that's okay, I think. That's okay, because you're you're supposed to take something out of the show. And if you took nothing out of it, like you said, like at the top, if you took nothing out of the show, no emotions at all, then you're not watching the show, right? So the fact that Violet is not as interesting as some of the other characters is just kind of an evil of the way the show was written. But I don't really have anything bad to say about uh, Erica's performance. she has got a standard contemplative female voice with slight lilting in it to show her youth. And, honestly, the best part that I can say is that she does totally lose her inhibitions when she finds out that Gilbert has died. And you take all of those emotions that are kind of building up inside and just explode with complete mental breakdown. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that the show gave her that opportunity to kind of, like, flex that chop. I guess that was a bit of a backhanded insult in terms of talking about Erica, but I think what I'm trying to vocalize is that I can't think of a way I would have improved the acting on this. It is just as... It is the best iteration of this that we were ever going to get.
1: Hmm. Okay. Um, as for what I think of these two, I think uh, Kyle McCarley as Claudia is really interesting there's something about the tone that he has that's really different than what i think i'm used to hearing of kyle it's much gruffer and rougher and much more tired like i'm not even sure how old he is but he feels like somebody who's been worn out by war and rightfully justifiably so it's like he watched friends and family all all pass away eh, and die in the line of duty and it's gotta take its toll and do stuff to you but even then he's has a new business he's trying his best he's doing his best um and the opportunities he he does he has i think kyle in general is a really interesting fit for this character and there's a lot about him that's really wise and interesting and he's a good character to help with violet and the things he says about the burns of past that just stick with Mm -hmm. you and that you won't realize it till it happens that these burns are going to stick with you. And that's really interesting to me and just about the regrets and fears that she has. And I, I really thought Kyle did a splendid job with Claudia. Now, Violet. Violet is really interesting. It's, I feel this is a challenging role to try and get to work in regards to like what you're going to convey or what you're going to how you're going to play the character like she i think erica plays this character straight laced very much naive a little bit at times but also very stoic but she is more than just that she is full of kindness and she is full of loyalty she is so full and she has so many of these emotions, this happiness, this sorrow. It's sincere, earnest, and kind of quirky in how she views the world, in the way she acts, in the way she talks. And she's so feels so much. And when she realizes how she's coping with the major, or how she's realizing once and for all that she was burning and she is still burning, And just the climax of episode 9 where she realizes how much influence she has. And the greater emotional things that she accomplishes. It really shows how far she's come. The delivery on some of these lines when she's crying in regards to the kid that she wrote the letters from her mom. Or the soldier she was afraid. And yeah, it just... It's some of the best dramatic like outbursts I've heard from Erica Harlicker, and I think this is such a strange but powerful performance that Erica really gives mm-hmm. this character. I can see the problems with the show and this character, but I do argue that at the very least, I think she is still interesting and capable enough that when you see her interact with all different characters and scenarios, it does still work for me. But I could definitely see the problems of her being like strange or just that she herself isn't as compelling as a lot of her other contemporaries and I totally get that. That said, I think Violet still worked for what the show needed and I really do like a lot of her dynamics with other characters. Though I will admit I was still less engaged I think with her main narrative than I think it was with the one-off stuff, but she's just a real interesting character that I like seeing interact with other people in general. That it's really powerful, and th- this really is stellar, stellar job. Like, her coming into her own and being her own person is an interesting journey, and I like how the show could have just been about her love struckness for Gilbert, but it feels like it's more about her actually, like, be- moving on from her guilt and regret of the past and becoming a new person who is allowed to do these things, who is allowed to enjoy these mm-hmm. things, who is allowed to help others instead of take. And I think that's really, really something. Yeah.
3: And to be fair, that that is a problem that a lot of people who try to reintegrate after coming out of the military service do have yes. to deal with.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: And I, I do have to wonder, like, I would like to actually talk to someone who's seen the show and has actually served in the military and to get their input about whether or not it felt reflective of what their time returning to society was actually like.
0: There's a, um, there's a video I should actually show you of um, someone who kind of did, like, a little interview with a military veteran who was... Um, working at their, who's now currently working at their business as, a, like, a security, mm-hmm. like, head of security there. I should send that to you. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Like, because they, mm-hmm. they do ask the questions about, about, like, how has it been, like, trying to like return to civilian life after serving in the military, and it's very interesting. I'll have to mm-hmm. send it to you.
1: The point, as I was saying, I very, very impressed with all the different intricacies and sides to Violet Evergarden's character that I think Erica pulled off. And she really, really, really impressed me with a lot of these moments. Mm-hmm. Now, it's time for us to move on to final thoughts, both of the show and of the dub itself. Aman, would you like to start us off? Yeah, um, I really enjoyed
2: this dub. Uh, I, I like, 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 I did, went into the show not really knowing anything about it. I remember people were really disappointed that uh, it w- It's. Uh, premiere in the United States was going to be delayed because of uh, Netflix's distribution model. Uh, and that was basically it. I knew nothing else about it. Um, and I, I just, I really enjoyed this. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't have a lot of background in sort of um, uh, Kyoto Animation's sort of more melodramatic stuff. Um, but as far as an example of this go, I thought this went really well. Like, I never, my enjoyment of the show never ended up dipping into, like, irony. Like, this is so over-the-top and goofy. any like that. It, it stayed very sincere, and I do think the dub helped a lot with that. Uh, I think it just did a wonderful job of balancing the emotions of the show and all the tones it's supposed to hit and casting good actors in the roles that were necessary. Uh, and like I said, you know, I think a lot of props go to Erica for, I think, having a very tough acting job and i think pulling it off marvelously. Um i really enjoyed this show uh even though i don't i don't know if i was expecting to do as much. So, you know, just props all around for making just a really a really good show and a really good dub on top of that.
0: Um so couldn't get on that too too quickly. Uh <laughs> To kind of sum up all of my thoughts, with all of the crying I've done, with all the praising I've done, this is a really good show. It's a really good show. It's a really good dub. I enjoy the the themes, the complex themes that the show itself has with its its take and look on war and on how it re- 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 well wow. how it results in like grief. Um, like, a need for peace, a desire to live, and trying to push past all of that. I appreciate all of that. Um, and... The sh- the show and the dub itself is absolutely phenomenal to me. It's... There are little intricacies here and there that if one thing... One wrong move or one misstep could have ruined the show and could have probably ruined the experience. And... It didn't do any of that to me, and it it got to a point, of course, again, where it hit me very personally, Um, and it resonated a lot, both with the story and with a character or two in there, and um, I just really appreciate the show a lot, and the dub just really elevated it so much to the point where... Like I said earlier, it's probably, as of right now, it's one of my favorite English subs of the year so far. Uh, and the show is definitely one of my favorite shows of the year so far as well. So, having gone to the, into the show without dealing or being a part of any of the hype, that's the best way to go. I know that's difficult, <laughs> but... If you go into the show with fresh eyes and not knowing too much about it, that's where you're going to get the most and the best experience out of it. So this show definitely, you should really see it. And the English dub is absolutely phenomenal.
3: What is love? Baby, don't hurt Wow, me. really? <laughs> don't hurt God me. damn it. No, Stop. Off.
2: You're going a roll tonight, aren't you, Noah? We're
3: resisting the whole... Di- yes, yes, I have. Glad you noticed. God damn it. Uh. <laughs> So, um, this is a, this is a show that I really enjoyed more than I thought I would. And I'm not even, like, a huge any fanboy. Like, I, I wasn't one of the the two people who marathoned all of Myriad Phantom Colors or whatever that Neither am was. I. Still
0: that show
1: it. is the definite, that show is the definition of a 5 out of 10. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice.
3: So I've been told, so I've been told. So, uh, so, in coming to this show, I was like, okay, I don't know what it's about, but I know that I want to watch it, just because it looks pretty. But I did not expect that it was going to uh, have strong individual episodes about characters moving past their grievances through the power of words. And that is something that was really refreshing to me, because in... In the animation medium, visuals are usually the key thing that people focus on. You know, how pretty is the sakuga and how many frames do they cram into this and how many camera movements can we get into a single hand-drawn frame. And this time here, it's it's that, but it's also about the power of words to move people. And that is something that I feel like is underrepresented a lot, especially in our visual-based society. So for that alone, I can highly recommend the show. The dub does that justice. Like these, the people who adapted this were uh, did a good job in adapting to the different styles of the different kinds of episodes. A shift from an astronomy episode to a playwright episode to a royalty shenanigans and posting their thoughts on Twitter episode, all of that within the span of a show that con- was consistent in how it was directed and written, and really fun to listen to throughout like i could easily recommend this over the sub just because you you will appreciate the language a lot more mm. of that um any problems that i have with characterization of violet or any other characters that just didn't have as many interesting parts to them that's okay because this felt like a very fully fleshed out world that i could easily see us making more visits into and i think we're actually getting a movie coming up that a movie lie. has
1: been confirmed for 2020 uh, yes
3: yeah, as, as uh, exploring this more, so and that's good because I feel like there's a lot more stories you could tell in this world. Honestly, I'm just really glad that I got a chance to check to watch it, and I would recommend. I'm not sure I'd say it's my favorite dub of. It's one of my favorite dubs of the year, um, just because everyone is consistently strong throughout. There wasn't like one standout character, one standout performance of them all. But I will say that if anyone is looking for a good. Uh, anything on netflix to binge right now this is definitely one i can point them to
1: okay um i'll say this in a way from what i've heard and what i've been told perhaps expectations were a tad too high for this potentially for me in regards to my opinions and enjoyment i think this is a show i like but do not love And I think there's some parts about it that are a little odd or maybe a little cheesy, like the, I want to learn what I love you means is a little on the nose, but I think the elements that go into it makes it very interesting. A lot of the world is unique, the characters, the premise and setting, and I do enjoy a lot of of what this show has to offer, even if I'm not always in love with, like, the main narrative. But I think this is a really enjoyable show. I think its dub is really strong. It's got some problems here and there. But the ones, when it's firing on all all cylinders, I think it's really firing really well. And I think it's definitely, definitely really solid. And I enjoyed it a lot. I definitely think if you, like interesting dramas or unique settings with odd characters it is definitely worth your time it is a gorgeous show and it's a it's an enjoyable show i do like its dub and yeah and with that i think we can call it a night if you would like to follow the dub talk podcast you can subscribe like comment and subscribe on our own youtube channel you can also find us over on Twitter, Tumblr, Twitch, etc. at Dub talk Podcast. As for the rest of us, you can find me, uh, I'm over on Twitter at mangaman 9000 under the name Classy ClassySpartan. And I do this and I do another podcast called Podcast ONA where we talk about anime, news, and the like. Now, uh, plug yourselves.
2: Uh, You can find me at Twitter at AmanduelUS. Duel has two U's in it. I talk about movies and anime and comic books. And sometimes I have strong opinions and sometimes I don't. Uh, I have a dusty old song for you all. I originally had a long spiel to go with it, but it's late.
0: It's late,
2: uh, so I'll just. It's if you if you if you want a song that represents losing someone you love during an old timey war, you'd be hard pressed to do better than "Forever Autumn" by Justin Hayward from the Moody Blues. Uh, and if you want to learn all about how that's from a musical version of *The War of the Worlds*, the H.G. Wells novel that was made in the mid '70s, ask me about it on Twitter. I'll tell you all about it.
1: All right, Steph.
0: Uh, yes, my name is Stephanie, or sometimes people refer to me as Lilac. I am on Twitter at review, with review being spelled R E V U E. R-E-V-U-E uh, where I essentially just talk about daily life and the daily struggles of an adult. <laughs> Basically. Uh, as well as my desire to either want to hug or punch Andrew for making me watch this damn show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a mixed reaction. But, um... Yeah, uh, that's where you pretty much find me.
1: And Noah, what about you?
3: I'm sorry, I'm still trying to contemplate the War of the World musical. Oh my God. Here.
0: God
1: damn it. We don't have time. We're sleepy.
3: <laughs> alright, alright. Sorry, sorry. The, the people in the wings are telling me to wrap it up. Um, I am Noah Clue, and you can follow me on Twitter at Noah Clue, where I, dro- I drop some hot takes on the world of animation and also post pictures of my children. I also have a YouTube channel, which is Journey Traveler, that I am, uh, actually have a couple scripts for stuff I'm working on right next to me, if I can, uh, find the free time to get those done, cheery on, and then we will have a better world.
1: All right. That's real cartoons. And with that, I think it's time to call it Not a night. Not quite.
0: You're forgetting one thing. Uh,
1: well, Even though
0: it's completely obvious, where can...
1: You can find us on no, no, YouTube. No, 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 you th- did
0: that. Even though it's completely obvious, where can people watch Violet Evergarden?
1: Oh, you can watch Violet Evergarden legally on Netflix.
0: Huzzah. Yes. I, I imagine... I'm, and if you don't have a...
3: If you don't have a subscription to Netflix, you can register for a free two-week no. trial. Over
0: or you
1: can bum off your family like everybody
0: <laughs> <is>. <laughs> I mean, the other... The Pretty other much. thing is at the time of this episode uh, recording obviously there's a no home video release though considering how some of the netflix exclusives like seven deadly sins and I- ajin have had physical releases
1: it might get one down exactly. the road but we're gonna have to wait well,
0: right and see now it. though netflix is the yeah. only way where you can watch the series
1: all right and, and with... if there is
3: a home video release hopefully it will come with the episode 14 ova which we have not been able to watch yet
1: and hopefully we'll get the movie down sooner or later and with that Thank you all for watching and I hope our words could reach you. Good night.
0: Good night everybody, Otakuwa, my friends.
2: Good night, there's aloha.